0: Trade offer: Julio Rodriguez for Mike Trout? Who says no? I'll ask Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball, about that and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the
2: winner's
3: way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now.
0: <laughs> and here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 27th. It's show number 20 of the 2022 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball from The Athletic, discussing Julio Rodriguez versus Mike Trout the early days of Experts Leagues, assessing our fantasy teams and individual players now that we're a quarter of the way into the season, some arriving prospects, and his boons and banes. We'll have our market watch player news reports. Harold Nichols has coverage of the National League, including Chris Bryant, Rowanzi Contreras, and Brandon Belt. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including a lot of injuries affecting the Yankees, the return of Cavan Biggio, and possibly a new Clemens joining Major League Baseball. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at St. Louis outfielder Alec Burleson. And in extra innings, I'll be talking about my bizarro Lima plan. It's another big Friday Full Edition. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? we got to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday Full Edition, it's part one of our feature expert interview with Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball from The Athletic. Gene, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
3: PD, great to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you. Of course, we talk two or three times a year, and you you were on uh, probably in March or maybe late February. I don't remember, but uh had a good preseason chat, and now we're a quarter of the way in. So how many drafts are you playing?
3: I've got four leagues, just just four,
0: and plus what, DFS. Oh, plus DFS. What kind of leagues are they? What leagues formats are they?
3: Uh, One main event, one draft champions, uh, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and one best ball.
0: And how are you doing in your uh, in your main event?
3: Uh, rather well. I dropped to fourth place. I was up to second last I had a great week last week. I got up to second, not having such a good week, down to fourth. But I, ha- I have a shot in that. However, I have no shot to win because I lost uh, Adamberto Mondesi and um, so I've decided to dump steals and just focus on winning that league rather than doing that. The way the way my draft worked, I uh, uh, I was planning on getting Jorge Mateo in the 19th round because he was going in the 23rd round, and he was, would you know, he was taken in the 18th round. So I was kind of precarious already, and I drafted uh, C.J. Abrams and uh, Vidal Brujan as reserves, thinking that they would, one of those two would pan out. When Monesty got hurt and Abrams got sent down, I just decided to dump steals, focus on the other nine categories, try to win the league, and forsake my shot at winning the the big carrot.
0: I've talked about this with guys who play uh, NFBC before, Gene, and I wonder, you win money if you win your league, do you not?
3: Oh, yeah, you win money if you finish first, second, or third. I think you get your money back if you finish third?
0: Bet you, you make a, a little... profit on uh, on winning the league.
3: Yeah, so I believe it's seven thousand dollars off the uh, eighteen hundred entry fee, so it's a substantial profit.
0: Yeah, that's a really good profit, and because most people who enter the contest are focused on winning the the big prize, the the overall prize, which is kind of, uh, improbable, even if you have an excellent team, it, it's still relatively improbable because there are what 40 or 50 other leagues where somebody has got an excellent team. So even if you have a really good solid overall team, it's really falling into the bounds of luck rather than skill or acumen to win the overall. I, I believe that I firmly believe that. And I've often wondered if it's a, f- just as a pure profit play if it makes more sense to do some kind of punting strategy to try to win your league and just ignore the fact that you're in the overall and take your 7,000 and run.
3: Uh, Yeah. I mean, nobody really wants to do that. Nobody goes into it doing that, but but once it becomes a, uh, once it becomes virtually impossible, I suppose I could spend the rest of the season chasing steals. uh, But I mean, to me, it's a mugs game, especially with these guys who I'm going to have to wind up with if, they even deliver on the stolen bases, and uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know who's going to come into the league, but probably somebody big stolen base guy will come into the league. But I, I, no, I don't think so. There's seven hundred five teams in the in the main event this year. Um, yeah, it's really hard to win, but you know, Lindy Hickelman won it twice, so you know, it, it's definitely a
0: skill. I agree that there's a skill to it. It's just Especially over the last few years, as you're getting more and more entrants, the the, the the pot is getting bigger, the number of uh, people who enter multiple teams is getting bigger, and there's all of these reasons that seem to mitigate against even having an outstanding team winning the overall title because of the luck element, and that's why I'm wondering why more people don't go into it from the outset thinking, I can probably win this league if I just Punt saves and just dominate all the other categories because I know no I know nobody else in my league's going to do that and 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 maybe uh, just grab yourself uh, a quick seven grand for your trouble or eat whatever second prize is you're still making a profit. Uh, I think that's an interesting thing and I wonder if people are going to try it sometime down the road. I know the the big carrot like you called it is mighty uh, enticing, but uh, as a realistic proposition, it just seems like your your whatever your odds are are not being met by the payout.
3: Yeah, I, I think the 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 flaw in deliberately dumping going in is that there's somebody who's gonna you know, assuming that you win all the other nine categories, there's gonna be somebody else with thirteen or fourteen points in that category who didn't dump what you're dumping. And that's what makes it more difficult. Uh it's not a it's not a guaranteed thing that you're gonna dominate the other nine categories. And I think that's why that and the fact that well, gee, you know, I mean, seven thousand dollars compared to one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. You know, everybody wants the big
0: ones. Yeah, uh, I'm no math expert, but one hundred and seventy-five thousand is way more.
3: Yes, you yeah.
0: mentioned you mentioned Jorge Mateo, and you talked about him in our first conversation in the uh, spring training edition of uh, of Baseball HQ Radio, and you were you were saying Jorge Mateo is a guy you should have in your roster and I rostered him in uh, in two leagues and I'm of course very glad I did although he's a bit of a batting average uh, disadvantage but uh, you mentioned that you didn't get him because you had him targeted four rounds early and somebody took him five rounds early and the, you told me that the guy who took him ahead of you is a friend of yours who probably knew that you were going to grab him so sniped sniped you with your own petard or however that goes.
3: Yes, yeah, so this is an occupational hazard, as, a, as I'm sure you know. Um, and that's why, I, you know, once you get into the late rounds of the drafts, ADP doesn't mean a damn thing. Um, so I, I I don't blame him. I blame myself for not taking him one round earlier. I knew I needed speed, and, uh, and I was kind of risking it. And so I have no one to really blame. I can't blame somebody else for taking a guy who I thought was the right guy to take ever, you know.
0: I'm wondering about the uh, power outage. I talked to all my experts who come on to Baseball HQ Radio about this. What do you make of the power outage? How is it affecting gameplay and league play? And maybe you can touch on also how it's affecting DFS play.
3: Well, in DFS, I, I don't think it's really affecting us regular roto that much because it's relative. Um, if you unless you have a bunch of guys who are marginal home run guys hitting a lot of wall scrapers then I think you're going to suffer, but it's really hard to pick those guys out. Um, so otherwise, other than that, it's relative. Everybody needs more. So you need, I mean, everybody needs less to compete. So you do too. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. Of course it's a factor and it's frustrating to watch DFS. It does make guys who, I mean, my DFS strategy has always been who is going to hit a home run tonight. Um, meaning who's going to hit a home run is the, also the guy most likely to hit two home runs, which is really what you want. Um, those guys with them being fewer and fewer, I, it makes the guys who are going to get two hits at the top of the lineup more attractive. Now, but the problem with that is, is that it's really hard to say no one is the a, a favorite to get two hits in a game. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to do. There used to be a sucker bet. Um, in the old illegal gambling days, where you would pick three players and they had to get six hits among them, and the payoff was ten to one, and it was a true sucker play, um, and people used to go for it all the time, and you know, way back going into the fifties, the sixties, even, because uh, my boss, who was a fifties guy, told me all about it. Uh, it's a really hard thing to for somebody to get two hits in a game. It looks easy after they've done it, but not before.
0: Is gambling legal in your state of Colorado now?
3: Yes. The problem is that I can't do it because none of the sites don't think I'm in Colorado.
0: Oh, why's that?
3: I don't know. (laughs) Don't ask me. All I got to say, Patrick is they're going to have driverless cars. My phone takes correct words and makes them incorrect. And it expects me to get into a car without a driver. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this.
0: And they can't, meanwhile, they can't figure out what state of the union you're in uh, using well, computers right. and what have you as well. Yeah, it's a, It's definitely a mixed blessing. I had, I, I noticed that I had, I don't know, 20 or 25 bucks left over in a DFS account that I had with one of the big DFS providers. And of course, now they're all books. And um, they just, as a matter of fact, uh, whoever I'm with, and I can't even remember one of the two big ones and they just launched a, a legal sports book online here in Ontario in Canada and they sent me an email saying you can't play DFS now you have to you can only play with us you can only play as uh, on the sports book uh, or the casino there's an online casino if you if you're not satisfied with the terrible odds you're getting in the sports book oh, go, <laughs> go play some uh, online roulette and uh, or online slots even worse and Okay, fine. I said, you know, maybe I'll drop a dollar here, a dollar there just to see if I can have some fun. And the same thing happened to me. They literally can't figure out where I am and, and because they need some combination of triangulating cell phone towers and Wi-Fi beacons and all this kind of stuff, and I use Ethernet. so they it's the, they sent me this thing when I put in my form to to switch over we don't know where you are, so you, you have to turn on, you have to download this thing and and put in your information and upload the thing once it's to us, and I did that, and it still didn't work, and now i got to send them my passport, my driver's license, a cable bill, a bank bill, these kinds of things, and frankly, for $20, I'm thinking, you know, this is, and I'm probably going to lose it all anyway, so uh, you know, I don't understand the, the machinations of it. I know there are legal requirements all over the place with the, with the online gambling, but... Um, Another guy that I'd like to ask you about so far this year is Julio Rodriguez, who uh, was a touted prospect coming in, and we're going to talk more about prospects later. But uh, Julio Rodriguez right now is uh, is having quite a sensational year. I think he's he was really getting squeezed in the strike zone early in the season, and his batting average was very low, but he's pulled it up to over 260, I think. He's got five homers. He leads the American League with 13 stolen bases. And I saw on Twitter the other day, Uh, somebody said in 2023 drafts assuming he's not hurt he's going to be in the first round and he may be top five and i'm wondering is that being a bit presumptuous
3: uh maybe a little but uh, i think he's i think he's going to get better and i think that's what that person is is thinking too um i agree that he was definitely getting squeezed um so his strikeout rate is probably going to come down it's still a little high but he's so talented And he's so obviously ready to hit in the major leagues that I I mean, I think from now on he's going to, he's hitting 267. Now I would be very surprised if he wasn't hitting considerably higher than that in the batting average and everything else is going to go along with it. I mean, the steals may come down on relatively a little, but he's already got 13. So he's pretty much a lock steal 30. Um, the power I think is going to increase despite his ballpark division. Um, Uh, He's I mean, he's got superstar written all over him. And he did, I mean, he had nothing left to prove in the minors before he even took it at bat in the majors. And that's telltale. You know, he's a generational type of
0: talent. Another Twitter discussion that popped up was who wouldn't you trade to get Julio Rodriguez on your roster? And they were talking about a single year redraft leagues. And uh, there was even some people who suggested, hey, I'd, I'd, Trade Mike Trout to get Julio Rodriguez for this year. What do you think of that?
3: No, I mean uh, for the future, yes, dynasty league, Keeper league, definitely. Um, for this year, no. I, mean, I, I think it was I think it was crazy that Trout went in the second round in a lot of leagues, including mine. I got him in the second round, and I thought that was a form of. I mean, that was definitely a gift. I guess it's because of injury, but you know, who doesn't get hurt? So I think you got to take him there, and he's he's done nothing but except indicate that.
0: The speed seems to be off in, in in modern baseball, or at least in 2022 baseball. Stolen bases are so hard to come by that maybe that's what the person was thinking. That as good as Trout is, he's going to you know provide you a lot of uh, stats, but he's not going to give you the stolen bases that Rodriguez is. And uh, if Rodriguez gets 30 or 35 stolen bases, that's like a category winner almost.
3: Yeah, I, I'm thinking kind of in my in my own terms. Yes, if you, if you need steals, uh, if he's going to put you over the top of that, and you've already got plenty of everything else, then yes, I can see it. Now, but, you know, I'm just thinking of my own situation where where the steals don't really appeal to me. So, um, you know, as far as Trout is concerned, last year at this time, or before he got hurt last year, people were making serious people were making. Good arguments that he was the greatest player of all time, which I think is a little over the top. But I mean, the fact that you could even mention that and not be laughed out of town, uh I mean, he's Mike Trout, and he's an obvious Hall of Famer. He's not going to age. You know, he might get hurt, but other than that, and until he does, he's Mike Trout.
0: In your mind, who is the greatest player of all time?
3: Well, it's got to be Babe Ruth. Um, I mean, he's got a, a what he's done, you know, look at him relative to the league and then consider that he was also a, a great left-handed pitcher. Uh, I don't think it's even really close. Otani, notwithstanding.
0: Yeah, he did it a lot longer than Otani does, but Otani's turning out to be Babe Ruth-ish at his peak so far that, in that he's been a f- reasonably successful pitcher, not in Ruth's uh, category, certainly, but... By league standards, he's uh, he's a really good hitter as well.
3: Yeah, well, the thing about Otani is, is that he's pursuing what the Babe, in fact, did not pursue. I mean, he he was one or the other. There was a very short period of time where he was a pitcher and a hitter, uh, except when he was actually pitching, in which case he was only hitting once every, you know, right there, four-man rotations then. Uh, so... I mean, he didn't pursue it, and uh, Otani is pursuing, it, and, and he's pursuing it damn well. Uh, so maybe he will turn out to be the greatest player of all time. I mean, and of course he's not—he's not in the Babe's class as a hitter. You know, I and mean, we're not just talking about—you uh, know—he's uh, never going to hit three forty-one. Right. You know, and, and he's never going to—you know—slug eight fifty. Uh, these are things that the Babe did more than once, so so I think it's still got to be the babe.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Gene McCaffrey from The Athletic and Wise Guy Baseball. And Gene, it's become kind of a truism in fantasy baseball that we can start looking at the standings now that we're getting late into May. Uh, Victoria Day up here in Canada about 5 or 6 days before Memorial Day so we're right around the end of May and, and uh the experts are saying now now it's okay to take a look at your standings and figure out what kind of team you have. It's not the quarter poll by the way. We've got a quarter of the way in but Todd Zola reminds everybody the quarter polls a, a quarter of the way from the end actually. Actually, a quarter That's mile from the end in a, in a horse race. But how much right. credence do you think we can give to our standings at this point of the season?
3: Oh, I take them for what they're worth. Um, they definitely mean plenty. But, you know, we've got a little less than three quarters of the way to go. So, I mean, I, I look at the standings on second day. Um, not that they mean that much, but I just I look at them anyway. Um, everything that you get in the bank is something that you have in the bank. Um, I'm not. Wouldn't feel secure or, or anywhere close to it. But I, I think that yes, they mean something. You you know, if you're weak in a category, you either have to start getting serious about getting it, or decide that you're not going to pursue it. Um, and you have to think about protecting and maintaining the categories that you are doing well in.
0: I think it's interesting that you said uh, everything you've got in the bank is in the bank. Uh, The first thing that popped into my mind is everything that's not in the bank is not in the bank as well. And that's the kind of balancing act that you have to look at. And I think, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the more important factor when you're looking at your standings in roto style with categories is how bunched are the categories and where are you in each one of them separately separately. Because if you're, you know, in sixth spot in all the, all the 10 categories, that's being sixth in one category is not the same as being sixth in another. If you're, you know, four wins out of going from sixth uh, to, to second, but you're 14 or 20 steals for making that same kind of progress, it's a different kettle of fish and you have to be mindful of how much, gap do you have to overcome to make gains in a particular category rather than saying, well, I'm six overall in all of them?
3: Yeah, there's still plenty of volatility left in every single category. Uh, Maybe a little less in steals and saves. Maybe. Um, But in the other categories, there's plenty of volatility to be had, and one good week um, can vault you pretty far in the standings. I mean, I just it just happened to me last week. I went from like eighth or ninth in my league to second in, uh, in the league on based on a very strong week. So yes, it could definitely happen. I mean that won't be that'll get less so as time goes on. But there's still plenty of plenty of volatility left.
0: Gene, are there any categories when you look at your standings at this point in the season, a quarter of the way through, where you are more concerned about your fate in the category than in other categories, or do you? Oh, look at them all pretty much the same
3: um i do think that they're all pretty much the same uh, in my case there was a stolen base issue but once i lost bond i knew that i did not have what it takes to to really compete in the category unless i spent the rest of the season chasing steals which i think is a mug game so i'm not going to do that um but even with saves i mean some guy, some closer is going to get hurt. Somebody's going to take his place and 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 just kill. You know, save thirty games from now on. Um, it's very possible to do that. Still, um, so that I think is probably going to happen. And that's and every other category, well, you've got all these people contributing to it. So all you need is, you know, one great week, and then you're all of a sudden you're not sixth place anymore. You're in second place or third and are, then you're in good shape. So yeah, I, uh, pretty much all the same.
0: How far ahead, and I know you can't do this in pure number terms, but in, say, percentages, I, I'm in Tout Wars, the American League-only league, and, and I have 53 stolen bases. The next guy behind me has 30. That's uh, almost double the next guy. So what, about 80% more than the next guy? What percentage lead would you like to have before you start considering that you have an, um, an irreconcilable surplus that nobody can catch you even if you trade it?
3: Well, in that case, in your case, I would trade, but that's about it. Um, I don't think that a, a home run lead like that is sustainable. Um, a stolen base lead like that might be sustainable. Um, and you're certainly trading from a position of strength. So I, If I were you with that kind of lead in stolen bases, I would make that trade. I guess it's possible to do that if you're, you know, if you have over 30 saves now. But even that, uh, I, uh, uh, today is not September. So there's a lot that's going to happen. So I I would not be overconfident about it.
0: We talked earlier about uh, overall contests like uh, the, NFBC. I don't play NFBC cash games, but I am in TGFBI. And I noticed the other day, I was looking at the overall standings and there was a guy on there who had jumped 45 spots in a single day. This is getting along with what you said about those overall contests, because there's so many players and, they, and by virtue of that, there's so many uh, tightly packed categories that you can literally jump. This guy gained a uh, Forty-five places, and I think it was something like a hundred and some points that he gained in a single day, mind you. And uh, yeah. when should we expect that kind of volatility to settle down in those overall contests?
3: Uh, September twenty-fifth. <laughs> um, no, I mean not not quite that late. But you're going to see jumps like that certainly a month from now, um, and probably you know a little less so as we go, but you know, all it takes is to, you have one fantastic week where, you know, you have 11 or 12 starts from your pitchers and they all do well, or they all do terribly. I mean, and that's plenty of volatility. I once had a league where I, I mean, I had a good ERA and I gave 30 points in the ERA in September. And I've had leagues where pretty much the opposite happened too. I remember one league, I was in, first place and going into the last week, and I barely finished third. It was such a disaster that week, and that was the very last week of the season. So um, disaster and fantastic performances can and will happen at any time.
0: And Todd Zola, uh, mentioned him earlier, but uh, he's been a, a very enthusiastic proponent of the idea that you don't have to give up on your decimals nearly as early as people think you do because you can actually make a lot of hay with two weeks to go because we 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 fall victim to the idea that the denominator has gotten so large that any particular individual day or week that, that you might have is not going to be enough to move batting average or on base percentage. And I think that's more true than it is of the uh, pitching decimals because... The denominator, while large, is not nearly as large as the plate appearance denominator or the at-bat denominator 6,000 or 7,000. We're going to be lucky if we get to 1,000 innings, depending on league minimums, but not many people go over that far over 1,000 innings. So it seems like you should never give, you might be justified in giving up on a category like a counting category, home runs or stolen bases or whatever it is, because you have 30, a 30-gap 30 to, to close in four weeks. You're just not going to do it. But in the, in the ERA and ratio categories, the whip categories, you can make an awful lot of ground partly because you can do well but partly because the guy you're chasing can do poorly and come back towards you.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Todd has made this point many times. I agree with him absolutely. Uh, don't give up
0: that's on a team level. You look at your entire team, you're, you're wherever you are in the standings, you're wherever you are in the categories. But what about individual players, Gene? How confident can we be at this point about the performances of our individual players, whether they're doing really well or doing really poorly, being uh, you know, surprisingly good or surprisingly bad?
3: I think it's up to the individual. There's no one rule. I, what I always do is, what I'm sure you do too, is Look at the underlying things. How real is this? What's different? What's the same? Um, is there a reasonable explanation for the good or the bad um, with each particular guy in each particular situation? How are his circumstances? You know, have they faced uh, have they faced the pirates? You know, a bunch of times uh, like that. Um, Has been the weather for a you know for your hitter um, because it's been pretty cold. And, Crappy in a lot of places this this year, and I as bad as the offense has been, we we should expect it to uh, to get better now that the weather's warming
0: up. Any concerns that the baseball is going to mitigate those kind of improvements? Just because we expect the weather warming up will help, but uh, then we look at these baseballs with the humidors and the soft winds and the and the uh, water seeping into the core and all of these kind of stories that we're reading about. And is it possible that it's not going to get any better because the baseballs are just too soft or too unresilient to allow for such an improvement?
3: It's possible. I mean, I think hitters are already making adjustments. Um, we were talking about stolen bases. We may see an increase in stolen base attempts based on this fact. I just wish they would stop You know, stop screwing around with the ball. Make it standard. What is the deal here? I I mean, it's as if they're trying to screw us up. Um, Just give us a baseball and and leave it. What's the problem? You know, are there too many home runs? I don't think so. You know, were there too many home runs last year? I don't think so. Uh, But anyway, I don't care what it is. Leave it. Just, okay, we've got the ball now. Let's leave it.
0: I think they would be well served to make the process more transparent as well, because uh, when they don't, and we have these scientists who do the independent studies on the coefficient of restitution of the ball, its hardness or its resiliency, but they're also now taking them uh, apart and looking at the cores and the windings and all these kind of things. And that's the the transparency we're getting about the the constitution of the baseball is not coming from Major League Baseball. And I think that... Even if they were to say, and they sometimes do, that the baseball is this or the ba- the baseball is that, nobody believes them at this point because the history suggests that they are willing to manipulate it and to be very um, clandestine about the about about doing it. And for that reason, uh, I think that they, the Major League Baseball would probably be well served in meeting its clientele's needs, mainly us, the the fans, by being very transparent getting independent people to verify what's going on with the ball that don't have a, a a tie into major league baseball or are not working for major league baseball per se. The issue I think, as you suggest is transparency and that we don't understand what the ball is from one season to another. And maybe within seasons, as we found out a couple of years ago.
3: Yeah. I mean, it seems their default is dishonesty. What is this? The CIA? Um, Maybe they just like people to talk about them, and they don't care what people say about them because nobody says anything good about them. Uh, I, I, you know, it's the old thing: who cares what they, you know, say about you as long as they spell your name right or, or like that. But uh, I don't get it. Uh, what is the, these are not nuclear secrets. Uh, just tell us what you're going to do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about human nature here, and uh, um, it seems to me the uh, the longer i live the less i know about it
0: you mentioned uh, the uh, idea that you don't you didn't mind the increase in home runs over the last couple of years uh, and some people a lot of people i think agree with you but on the other hand Major League Baseball commissioned a year or two ago, they got, Theo Epstein got involved in some kind of big, why are people not interested in baseball anymore? And one of the findings that they had was that people found all the home runs fairly boring, that there wasn't any action in the sense of baseball action. What the fans wanted, according to Theo Epstein, when I heard him on a podcast, and I've talked about this on Baseball HQ Radio before, but what they wanted was in order, they wanted to see more triples. They wanted to see more great fielding plays and they wanted to see more stolen bases or stolen base attempts. And what Major League Baseball was giving them was much, much less of all those things. And I wondered if the softening of the ball or the manipulation of the ball to reduce home runs was an effort to force teams into a new style of play that fans would find more interesting that might move the game along at a quicker pace that would have more athletic activity rather than watching a guy club a ball 500 feet and then jog around the bases. You know, as exciting as it is in the moment, it's not that great to watch after the ball clears the fence because everybody's just standing around while a guy basically walks his dog for 360 feet. Do you think that they're actively doing this or is there a possibility that they're actively doing this to try to change the style of play back to more towards what we saw in the 1980s where home runs were much less frequent but that there was a lot more action in the game
3: i think it's very possible but uh, probable in fact but just be honest about it just say look this is what the fans want hey i like triples too i like great fielding plays and stolen base attempts too Let's just be honest about it. Be upfront. This is what the fans want. We're going to give it to them. Okay. Then as roto players, we can adjust to it. We can factor it in and everybody's happy.
0: I think that you're right. That's the big difference is that if you're a roto player and you speculate that that's the case, that the ball is not going to be different as the weather warms up, it's going to be still a down year for home runs and that we might suspect there's going to be more stolen bases therefore it'll be easier to get stolen bases maybe we need to target home runs you can have all of these plans but it it forces the the roto player to make these speculations and it introduces an element of uncertainty about how to proceed that really takes away from the game rather than adding to it this is not a question of acumen this is a question of trying to forecast right the machinations the behind the scenes machinations of 30 guys plus uh, the front office of major league baseball and that really does take some of the fun out of the game i think of our game
3: yeah definitely uh it's i uh, just make a it predict it's hard enough to predict these guys um with everything with the playing field level just stop tilting the field this way and that way and that's. i mean it's not a lot to ask
0: you mentioned that there are things we can look at as far as determining whether our players are over or underperforming based on their skills rather than on their outcomes. What signals do you look for when you're looking at your hitters who are over or underperforming to determine whether they are, dare I say, facts or flukes?
3: Um, Are they making more or less contact? Is there a pitch they're having trouble with? How is their hard hit rate? Um, Has anything changed in their batted ball profile? I like to, I like to look at everything that I could possibly think of, um, and then try to blend it in uh, more art than science, but you have to know the science before you could make it into an art. Um, so yeah, I try to look at everything that I could possibly look at and look for a reason for the good or the bad. And if it's not there, well, then I expect him to revert to what he's always been.
0: I do the same thing, uh, but I've noticed that, and I don't even know if I should watch my own players play because I, I watch them and I, 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 I'm not a scout. I'm not trained in this area, but I, I watch them and I, and I th- start thinking to myself, well, I'm noticing this particular thing. And the example I'll use is Jose Barrios. I have Jose Barrios on a couple of rosters. And it just, when I look at him, it seems to me that he doesn't have a strikeout pitch. He gets ahead 0-2 or 1-2 or at any point with two strikes and he just doesn't seem to have that ability to knock knock the guy down with a, with a strikeout. And I don't know if that's backed up by the stats. Actually, I do now because I looked once I started thinking about it, and it is. He's not striking out guys as readily, but to what extent do you think we should be just putting our eyes on our players on TV and trying to determine anything from that or is it just a good way to mislead myself?
3: Well, I I want it to be confirmed when I watch players, which I do all the time, um, and I notice something, I'll go to the stats and I'll say, you know, is my observation uh, valid uh, based on what he's done so far? Or sometimes uh, there'll be a change and he'll, uh, oh, you know, he was before he was, uh, flailing and breaking balls. Now he's taking breaking balls. That's a really good thing, and and the, the other way it could go the other way too. Um, I just look for to confirm my own observations because I'm I'm not a, I'm like you I'm not a scout either. But you know both of us have been watching baseball for a long time. Uh, there were things that you can't help but notice, and things that you can't help but pick up. Um, you know, for instance, uh, this is the thing with Julio Rodriguez. Uh, um, you can just see from watching his approach, watching the way he swings, watching the ball off his bat, that this guy is already a star. Um, and, and the stats are, at first they didn't back it up, but it didn't take long for them to snap into for uh, reality to assert itself.
0: Well, Gene, interesting so far as it always is. Let's take a break and we'll finish our discussion after we do the uh, National League and American League news. Sounds good. Gene McCaffrey is the wise guy of fantasy baseball and writes for The Athletic. He'll be back later in the show. Coming up, we have our Market Watch Player News reports. Nick has the National League. Ray has the American League next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Speculator, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at upside projections from the baseball forecaster. In our Facts and Fluke Spotlight, analyst Tanner Smith dives deep on Philadelphia third baseman Alec Boehm. And in the Bullpen Buyer's Guide, columnist Doug Dennis looks at the relief pitching situations in Baltimore, Seattle, Tampa, Los Angeles, and Washington. And those are just a few of literally dozens of great articles, reports, and commentaries you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. We have player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today and roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers, fantasy market analysis in the market pulse, injury analysis in Matthew Cederholm's column, The Big Hurt, and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, there are tools like the player projections updated every day, depth charts, daily dashboards, pitcher matchups planners, bullpen indicators, batter consistency reports, complete pitcher PQS logs, potential surgers and faders, and other leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. Add it all up, you get expert content plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business.
2: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our Market Watch player news reports. Ray Murphy is on deck with the American League report. And leading off, it's our National League news and our old friend, Baseball HQ pitcher matchups analyst Harold Nichols. Let's start in Colorado. Chris Bryant is back on the I.L. again. We have uh, Jock Thompson covering the division for playing time today. What's the latest on Chris Bryant's latest injury?
4: Uh, Chris Bryant heads back to the I.L. after being uh, back in the lineup for only two games. Uh, He missed uh, four weeks with an initial back strain and now back uh, on the I.L. again. Uh, This could last longer. Um. And so in his absence, uh, a lot of a lot of people could get extra playing time.
0: And one of them appears to be Sam Hilliard. And coincidentally enough, Stephen Nickrand, our fine columnist at BaseballHQ.com in his Batting Buyer's Guide column, happened to be looking at buy low targets. These are guys who have got off to slow starts but could be worth quite a bit of uh, value in the rest of the season. And one of the names on his list, coincidentally, Sam Hilliard.
4: Yeah, you know, if you look at Sam Hilliard's current, uh, current stats, uh, a 160 batting average, a, a 255 on base percentage, slugging only 296, you begin to wonder why would anyone be interested? But as Stephen points out, there's a lot going on under the surface. Hilliard's a very streaky hitter. He could go on a surge anytime. Current 20% hit rate is eight points lower than his prior baseline. Uh, and his batted balls have been really strong uh, 92.8 miles per hour exit velocity. barrel rate. And uh, last season had huge holes in his swing, only a 59% contact rate Uh, this season up to a 71% contact rate, which is playable. So here's a guy worth looking at. Uh, He's got some power plays in Colorado. Uh, If he's available in your league, you might want to take a look.
0: I did take a look at Sam Hilliard as a matter of fact earlier, not because of this news, just because I was looking for possible guys uh, like the ones that Steven suggested. And you know, I'm not a big believer in average exit velocity for batters but I am a big believer in maximum exit velocity f- for hitters and uh right now um 115.1 miles an hour for a max exit velocity for Sam Hilliard which is pretty elite it's like the 98th percentile of batters in the uh, National League and I- when i see something like that i think there's something here and then of course you throw in the fact that he's hitting in colorado for half his games and all of a sudden you really have to be interested and i'm not saying that you should rush out and uh, roster sam hilliard because as uh, you suggested as steven suggested there are some warts here frankly there's a uh, you know a lot of swing and miss in his game which is a real problem uh, he's like 22nd percentile in whiff rate which is not something that you want to have but at the same time, a guy who can bang the ball at 115 miles an hour and do it in Colorado, boy, oh, boy, that starts to look pretty interesting pretty fast.
4: Yeah, it does. And, and you've got to remember, Hillier really is a very streaky hitter. Uh, so what we've seen so far is a very low streak. Uh, the, the other side of that streak is likely to come uh, sometime very
0: soon. He can run, too. I I don't know that he does very much, but he's pretty uh, elite-level sprint speed. He's a pretty decent defender, so he can play. You know, there's a lot here to like when you're looking at Sam Hilliard. Check your free agent list and and mull it over at least a little bit. Uh, In St. Louis, the right-hander Jordan Hicks, who used to be thought of as their closer of the future, he became a member of the rotation. Uh, Now he's been placed on the 15-day IL by the Cardinals. They're calling it a right forearm flexor injury, which is just another way of saying, uh uh-oh.
4: Oh, right. Hicks has struggled for much of 2022. Uh, ERA is 5.02, XERA 4.20, BPV only 28. Last outing on May 24th was probably his worst three innings, four hits, five walks and four earned runs. Right now, we don't know the seriousness of the injury. It's hard to forget that Hicks had missed much of the last couple of seasons with elbow problems. Uh, this is really not not good news.
0: No, it doesn't sound like good news, and we've talked about this before, but any time you see a an injured list reference to some problem with the forearm, it's not usually just the forearm. We know from bitter experience, I'll have to say that uh, forearm injuries are usually, or I should say often precursors to elbow problems, and if it's an elbow problem, now it's a world of hurt.
4: Yes, very definitely. So it's, uh, you know, we, we wish him the best, but I would not want him on my fantasy team at the moment. Who knows when he'll be back.
0: In Miami, boy, what a situation they have in their bullpen, Nick. Uh, They have a supposed closer coming into the year, Dylan Floro, but he's been struggling. And his supposed understudy, Anthony Bender, has six saves. He's leading the club, but now he's on the IL because of back stiffness. So we've got Phil Hertz covering the IL stint in playing time today, and Alanda Leonardis Playing time tomorrow. Coverage of the National League East. Uh, just happened to be looking at the Miami bullpen. What's the closer situation with all of these injuries and player movement?
4: Well, information right now is sketchy on how long Bender will be out. Even before the injury, the Marlins were moving toward a closer by committee situation with Bender struggling a bit. Uh, Bender has a 4.50 ERA, but an xERA 3.71, a BPV of 97. So you know, kind of kind of marginal, but 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 perhaps serviceable. Uh, saves at this point could be split among last season's late season closer, Dylan Floro, Anthony Bass, Cole Sulcer. It's one of those things where, where we're not sure exactly what's going to go on. It's a situation definitely worth watching. Bender had looked like, with Floro struggling, Bender had, had, had looked like the guy, the go-to guy. But with him on the IL, uh, just have to watch and see and see how everything, uh, everything plays out.
0: When I look at Anthony Bass, he doesn't have any saves so far, but he has been pitching in some high-leverage situations. He's got a win and eight holds, and he's been pitching pretty well. Boy, look look at this line, a 162 ERA 084 whip. He's getting 14% swinging strikes. His strikeout minus walk is 23%, which is pretty good, and a base performance value of 152, Nick. Uh, Anything over about one and a quarter is starting to get really closer worthy. Uh, Should we be rostering Anthony Bass at this point?
4: I think you'd want to take a look at it. I mean, uh, um, at this point, a 3.22 XCRA, so probably some regression in order at this point. But he does have closer-worthy skills. Um, He's only eclipsed a – he's 34 years old. Is only eclipsed a 100 BPV once in 10 seasons. So that gives us uh, reason to think this may not – this may be more of a mirage than a a real development. But uh, massively increased the use of his slider at the expense of his sinker. Uh, So, yeah, I think uh, with a pitch change there, it may be worth looking at. I would certainly keep a uh, a close eye on Anthony Bass and see if he begins to move into the closer picture uh, fairly soon.
0: And one other piece of the analysis to consider is – one of the things we always look for when we see a pitcher all of a sudden outperforming his career levels or his past rate levels is pitch mix. And, uh, one of the things that I looked at here was that, uh, Anthony Bass, you mentioned changing from the slider first approach has really improved his ability to throw strikes and to get swinging strikes. And really gives us a little bit more of a reason to feel that touch more confident that, that that this isn't just a fluke. He's done something that justifies the improvement in his results.
4: Right, very definitely. And when you see a change that that does justify that improvement, then it makes you a little more confident that this uh, may be something real and something that could sustain itself over the course of uh, of a month or two or even perhaps the entire season
0: and we can't let this whole transaction scenario play out without mentioning that the uh, the Marlins recalled Willens Astadio, and I saw on Twitter the other day, somebody said, Willens Astadio's playing for Miami. It was caught them as quite a surprise, and it caught me by surprise too. I didn't even think he was in the major leagues. He's the former twin, of course, a little fire plug-y guy, plays all over the field, including uh, pitching <laughs> once in a while. So the Marlins may be able to make use of the flexibility, Nick, but boy, uh, he's going to have to hit more than he... Hit in Minnesota in particular, and also in Miami in twenty twenty one, two fifty four expected batting average, sixty eight power index. Not a lot of there there.
4: Yeah, I had him on my team for one for one season when he was doing fairly well in Minnesota. But there's about a lot of up and down uh, in Astrodillo's game. A fun guy to watch, uh, but uh, you, you've got to be you've got to be skeptical at this point about whether he can reproduce the kind of things that got him excited when he first came up to Minnesota.
0: Moving along, it seems like forever that we've been watching Brandon Belt and thinking this guy should be a great fantasy player. He's a he's a good uh, baseball player, a, a useful guy for San Francisco over these last few years. But gosh, he just never seems to have quite come around. And he was starting to come around these last little while, but he just can't seem to shake the injury bug. And now he's back on the IL. Uh, Jock Thompson covers this for playing time today. What's the latest on Brandon Belt and the situation in San Francisco?
4: Well, Manager Gabe, Ka- Gabe Kapler told reporters that uh, Belt wouldn't miss much time, but uh, he has had all kinds of recent issues with his knee. Uh, this is a knee problem with knee inflammation. Uh, missed all the spring training th- this year following IL time in 2021. So difficult to imagine him being particularly healthy for the remainder of 2022, and also difficult to project playing time for a, a deep and versatile uh, platoon-centric squad like the Giants, who have been extremely active on the waiver wire biggest beneficiary of belts absences looks like first baseman DH left fielder, Darren Ruff who has had a miserable April, but uh, turned things around in May. Uh, and at least for now, it looks like he will get most of the playing time while belt is out. Uh, the thing of course, to, to be careful about with Ruff, Ruff hits left-handed pitchers very, very well, not so good against right-handers.
0: A couple of shows ago, I think it was Tanner Smith who said, uh, Darren Ruff is the kind of guy you need to keep an eye on. Because they're platooning him not against left versus right so much as high ball pitchers versus low ball pitchers because he can't hit high ball pitchers and he crushes low ball hitters, uh, pitchers, pardon me. And from that point of view, if, if you have a chance, especially you have daily moves or you're playing DFS, if you look at the, at the pitching matchups for San Francisco on a given night and you see that the the pitcher is a sinker baller or you know a sinker slider type of pitcher you might want to have Darren Ruff in your lineup cuz he really hits those low ball pitchers well and and that's something that one of those kind of new metrics or new ways of looking at baseball that I think is really going to help fantasy managers in the future as they try to plot out what moves are going to make daily or even weekly, if, if you know that a guy's coming in against a, the kind of pitcher that he can hit, not just left-right, but the shape of pitches, the pitch mix, all those kinds of things. I think that's a really interesting development for a guy like Darren Ruff. And now, perhaps paradoxically, if he gets a lot more playing time and they force him into the lineup against highball pitchers, this might actually not be good news for Darren Ruff owners because he is a real Really tough uh, matchup when highball pitchers are involved. Yeah,
4: you know, there's, you know, there's a, there's an interesting. If you look at, look at what's going on so far with Darren Ruff. So far this season, 142 at bats. We were projecting only 276 for the remainder of the season. But if, if Belta is on the IL, Ruff's going to continue to get, uh, to get at bats. And so if you can match him up against the right pitchers, as you say, he's certainly someone worth having on your fantasy roster.
0: In Pittsburgh, the Pirates have recalled uh, pitcher Roanze Contreras. I love that first name. Uh, Rick Green covering the Pirates for playing time today. Uh, What's the latest on this story?
4: And Roanze Contreras came back up and responded with five scoreless innings on Tuesday night. Uh, We're anticipating this time he'll get an extended look uh, in the the big leagues. Contreras was up in April, uh, giving Pittsburgh 7.2 innings of work with 10 strikeouts, 10 strikeouts and 7.2 innings, three walks, three earned runs. If he's available, he could uh, really help fantasy teams in keeper leagues and, and redraft leagues, certainly someone to check and see if he's available on your waiver wire.
0: There's always the problem that you can't really count too heavily on getting any wins, even if he gets deep into games, because Pittsburgh's lineup is so relatively anemic. But say one thing about the Pirates. If he leaves the game with a lead, there's a very good chance he's going to finish the game with, uh, with a win, because that bullpen is really, really strong in Pittsburgh.
4: Yeah, that's true. And so... uh you know, it depends on how how much wins count in your particular scoring format. Uh, some 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 formats really don't use them at all. So certainly a guy worth looking at and seeing if his particular uh, skill set would help you in your uh, in your league.
0: Four games so far for Ronzi Contreras this year. He's got an 95 whip, which is something I always like to see. His ERA is just barely over two, so uh, I imagine he's going to probably be rostered in most formats because of the earlier stint that he put up, and he was a pretty well-regarded prospect. But take a look on your free agent list. You never know because of your league rules or because your league mates aren't paying attention. Uh, Ronzi Contreras might be on the list or might have been dropped earlier when he was sent down. There's all kinds of ways where Anzi Contreras should end up, could end up on your roster, and you should really consider it if it's a possibility. Uh, back to St. Louis, Nick. They recalled right-hander Angel Rodon from their taxi squad, and sent uh, left-hander Matthew Libertor back to Triple A. He got up for a very short stint, uh, just as a spot start kind of thing. But what's going on in that St. Louis rotation? We talked earlier about their other injuries.
4: Yeah, we, we expect still to see uh, Libertor back uh, probably in the second half of the season, uh, but Rondon has spent much of his professional career as a starter. This season, he's primarily pitching relief. Only 22.2 2. 2 innings at Memphis, uh, 3.97 ERA, 27 strikeouts, 13 walks, and somewhat concerningly five homers. Saw action right away on May 22nd when he had to replace the injured Stephen Matz. Got the win after pitching five shutout innings, allowing only one hit and Three walks with four strikeouts. Uh, maybe a guy to take a look at. Uh, as you know, not not someone that uh, you'd like to get too excited about. But depending on your particular sit- pitching situation, someone you might want to uh, uh, to to see if he's available and might if he might help you. Projected balance uh, has a 72 BPV, and certainly that is something that uh, is is decent for a starter.
0: And he's, I think, uh, sort of a middling prospect for St. Louis. The last time I checked, it was sort of 11, 12, 13, that kind of rank in the organization, and certainly a lot lower in the overall for all of baseball top 100 lists and stuff. He's not on uh, several of them that I've checked. But certainly, as you said, uh, Angel Rondon looks like he could be worth a look. On the offensive side, uh, last week, Ray and I talked about Tyler O'Neill going to the IL. Uh, Dan Marcus covers St. Louis as part of his playing time tomorrow, coverage of the National League Central. And Dan mentioned that Corey Dickerson could find some playing time in the outfield. Okay, fine. Perhaps in combination with uh, another player, uh, Brendan Donovan. What does Dan say about Donovan's fantasy potential?
4: Uh, Brendan Donovan is a kind of an intriguing option at this point. Has positional versatility. Uh, can play in the infield as well as the outfield. And uh, with the injuries going on in St. Louis, he could wind up at the front of the line for playing time. Uh, since being recalled on April 25th, he's played at least one game at every position except catcher and center field and left field. Power output has been matched by his skills. A 118 power index, but uh, only a 53 expected power index. Uh, rest of his profile, though, gets some attention. 1.10i. 2.81 expected batting average, 71 BPV. So as the Cardinals are trying to fi- find the right combination for the lineup without uh, without Tyler O'Neill, uh, without uh, Paul DeYoung, it wouldn't be surprising to see Donovan get a substantial role in that lineup, and that makes him someone worth uh, keeping an eye on at this point.
0: I don't think we should expect a, a whole lot of power from Donovan, but he does have terrific strike zone discipline. He hasn't had many... Uh, pitches to face or battered balls to face, but he has a 16.7% strikeout rate, which is pretty good in this day and age. And a 16.7 walk rate, so he's pretty much walking once for every time he strikes out, which is, again, pretty rare. But his barrel rate is very low, around 2%. Uh, Launch angle is ground, ball oriented, and max exit velocity, barely over 100. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of power here, but there could be some other aspects of his game that, that play, including possibly helping in batting average and maybe a little bit in speed.
4: Uh, Yes, but so so far this uh, season, one stolen base, no caught stealing. Our projections show four stolen bases the rest of the year and four caught stealing. So it depends on on, uh, to what extent your uh, league uses that caught stealing as a metric. Uh, But uh, certainly a guy worth keeping an eye on. There's a lot of shifting and going around going to be going on in the St. Louis lineup. And as we noted, uh, Donovan has considerable positional versatility.
0: That always helps. Also helps your fantasy roster. The more eligibility you have built into your roster, the easier it is to move things around when the inevitable injuries hit. Uh, Nick, thanks a million for helping us out, and we'll catch up with you again next week.
4: All right. Thank you, Patrick.
0: Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com co-general manager and columnist, Ray Murphy. Let's start our American League report in New York, where the Yankees are having all kinds of injury problems. Ray, uh, infielder DJ LeMahieu missed a couple of games with what they called discomfort in his left wrist. I guess they're saying for now he's day-to-day, but he's just the tip of the iceberg, the latest Yankee to miss time. Chris Olsen covers the Yankees for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. What's the latest?
2: Yeah, the latest is this is a real MASH word. Uh, Various degrees of injury, many of them seem close to resolving. I guess that's the quote-unquote good news. Aaron Hicks has been out with a hamstring. Uh, Josh Donaldson has been on the COVID IL with a uh, corollary case of mouth disease, shall we say. Um, So those guys have missed this week. Uh, More significantly, Giancarlo Stanton went on the IL with an ankle problem. And this LeMahieu news, as you say, uh, he's just day to day, not IL yet, but you know, seems a little ominous. And that he was uh, trying to take some swings the other day, and you know, wasn't ready. Right. So, you know, that may uh, that that may escalate a little bit. So, there's been a there's been a lot of attrition here.
0: And meanwhile, to, to make up, uh, they've had, uh, a signing, they signed Matt Carpenter out of the Texas organization where he'd been tending his eighties porn mustache at AAA and uh, Miguel Andujar figures to get some time. Marwin Gonzalez, the, uh, the Swiss army knife of the, of the lineup, all of these guys are going to play, but I guess time will only tell how long the Yankees will be playing them.
2: Yeah. Well, given the number of, injuries and the you know varying or unclear durations, it's not clear what kind of opportunity these guys are gonna have. It could be that most of it has evaporated, you know, by the end of this weekend, if all of these guys except Scanton, who's on the DL for at least another week, could conceivably be back, right? Or it could get worse if Lemayhew ends up on the DL, for instance. But if you're if you're trolling around for short term at bats, uh you know, Carpenter may have a little bit of life left in his bat. He had a. Uh, six home runs in just a couple of weeks worth of work at, uh, at triple a round rock before the Yankees scooped him out of uh, the Rangers organization there. Uh, so short-term opportunity there for Carpenter, the Yankees do have enough moving parts that, you know, especially with Stanton out, uh, you know, it could be the DH position or left field that's open. So those are places where notorious gloveless wonders like Carpenter and Andrew Hart could get Smith bats, but, uh, You know, if you're into this weekend's fab, I probably would not be looking at more than a short-term opportunity, you know, a week or less, unless, uh, unless something else gets worse here.
0: Mind you, uh, leagues have been won unless, you know, if you can pick up a guy like Carpenter and he bangs you two home runs during the week or even one, you know, it's better than carrying the empty slot or, you know, how likely is Marwin Gonzalez to homer for you? Those kinds of things. It's, it's depending on the competitiveness of your league and the depth of rosters and so forth, sometimes you can win a league by by rostering a guy like Carpenter for 10 days or whatever he actually uh, lasts before things get back to normal. Uh, another significant injury, maybe even more significant, Ray, was in the bullpen. They put closer or Chapman on the IL with Achilles tendonitis, and the Scuttlebutt says he'll be in a setup role when he gets back. Uh, Chris Olsen covering the story for playing time today. First, what's the latest on this whole Yankees bullpen situation?
2: Yeah, this is really, it seems like the more significant situation for the Yankees. Of course, yeah, you know, they've been off to a terrific start, which has led to the good part of their bullpen getting a lot of work, right? But in the past couple of weeks, I think we've seen that it was sort of obvious that Chapman was fighting something you know, they were being very cautious in how they used him. He had sort of uh, deteriorated into sort of a co-closer role with Clay Holmes and had not been Chapman had not been his usual level of effectiveness either. So I don't think it was a huge surprise that he ended up getting shut down with this uh, Achilles problem. And there's, there's no timetable for his return for, so for at least a little while, it's going to be Holmes in the closer role. Uh, he who has been you know terrific so far this year, but, uh, yeah, you know, the bullpen pecking order there is now Holmes fronting the likes of Michael King and the lefties Lucas Luki and Wandy Peralta. You know, because other bullpen stalwarts Chad Green and Jonathan Loaisiga are both on the IL as well. Green's out for the year with Tommy John surgery, and Loaisiga's got shoulder problems that sound like they might be significant. So, uh, you know, things are so bad here that the Yankees actually just. Uh, Scooped up Shane Green off the waiver wire, who had at last been last seen as a Dodger for about 15 minutes last week. So, uh, you know, clearly the Yankees are trying to uh, build a bullpen on the fly here. And other than the stability of Holmes, there's uh, there, there's a lot of uh, question marks in the uh, in the middle relief and setup roles right now.
0: But as you say, Clay Holmes has been fantastic, and Chris mentioned, given how well he's been pitching. He might retain a share of the role, as you suggested, maybe even take it over altogether. And I noticed uh, the New York media were reporting that that indeed will be the case. What do you think about those reports?
2: Uh, yeah, John Heyman tweeted, uh, or I'm told John Heyman tweeted because he actually has blocked me on Twitter, but that's another story. Uh, but John Heyman apparently tweeted that it's hard to imagine there are better relievers than Holmes right now. And when Chapman returns, he will have to come back in a lesser role. Uh I don't know that those words were from Brian Cashman's mouth. That's not totally clear, but uh, it's certainly a reasonable assumption given how effective uh, Holmes has been. He's got something uh, like a 23-inning scoreless streak. He's got a 0-38 ERA, 24 strikeouts to two walks on the year. Uh, so he is entrenched for now, and you know Chapman will have to come back and look like the older role as Chapman too. I think he even raise that question of why they would make another change.
0: Five, five saves and nine holds, something like that as well for Clay Holmes, and pitching in outrageous leverage situations. He's certainly the guy, and that's justified because he made some changes in his pitch mix and came back and just has looked, as you said, like uh, hell on wheels out here, uh, 038 ERA you mentioned, and all of those other terrific numbers. I have to ask, why did uh, John Heyman block you on Twitter?
2: <laughs> so it has something to do with the lockout and me accusing him of uh carrying the owner's water sometime in uh january or february when he was parroting uh ridiculous rob manfred positions about how how good some lousy uh ownership offer was to end the lockout and i uh you know i i questioned his journalistic objectivity how dare me and uh you know he's uh he's notorious for having a fairly uh quick trigger finger on the block button on twitter he uh he, he is not one to engage with uh, uh, dissenting opinions, shall we say.
0: Well, I have dissenting opinions, and he never blocked me, but I don't remember actually uh, confronting him for his uh, – Obvious water carrying, I thought for for the owners. I I just left it be. But uh, I did read the tweet about uh, Clay Holmes taking over. And you're right, it wasn't attributed to any source. And believe me, I used to be in the newspaper business. If he had that straight from Brian Cashman's mouth, you'd best believe he'd have been bragging about it and putting that up there in in lights. Especially given his desire to remain on the good side of the Brian Cashmans of the world.
2: Yeah, that's where his bread is buttered. So this seemed like it was a a you know just off the cuff statement of opinion from him that uh you know to your point was sitting you know because of the the size of mouthpiece that Heyman has has been taken as gospel by the rest of the new york media and we'll see whether or not that actually comes to pass i mean obviously it's you can see where he drew that conclusion but it appears to to me to be a conclusion he drew in his own mind
0: i agree but it does look like a justifiable conclusion but he seems to have presented it, at least in my eyes, as news, like he had it on good authority. And if it's good authority is he himself, then I wish he'd have said something like that. All he has to do is throw the words, I think, or uh, it looks like, or something like that. And I don't know about just the New York media, but the the comment made the national rounds. I mean, you started seeing it popping up on, you know, news feeds uh, that we use sometimes to to get our news for playing time today and those kind of places. And it's really not that great that a guy with his, as you said, his megaphone gets to just offer an off-the-cuff opinion, no matter how well justified, without saying that it's his opinion. I think as a journalist, you're Obliged to to indicate when it's news and when it's your opinion, and not just conflate the two as though they are the news. Uh, I just wish he hadn't done that. Uh, even though I do think he's probably right. Uh, let's move on. No, the Toronto Blue Jays. Boy, they're having a lot of trouble scoring runs, and I don't know if that was the impetus for this, but they recalled infielder Kevin Biggio from AAA on Thursday, and they sent down infielder Vinny Capra to Buffalo. And uh, Vinny Capra wasn't playing, so I don't know how big of a deal this is. Phil Hertz covers the Jays for playing time today. What do you think the role is going to be for Kevin Biggio in what is a struggling Toronto lineup?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Nobody really expected this to be a run score and to be a basic problem for the Blue Jays, right? Um, I, the flip side of that coin is I don't know that Biggio is the answer to all of those problems either. Uh, you know, if we found, if we go back in time a month or so ago, Biggio started the season on the roster with the Jays and quickly played himself out of the lineup by going one for 23 with a 257 OPS. That's OPS, not OVP, Uh, you know, four walks, 13 strikeouts, and 32 plate appearances, uh, batting average and slugs that both started with zero, which, you know, I can't remember ever seeing before in any, you know, <laughs> that's a good way to play yourself out, out of a lineup, right? And, but he, you know, to his credit, he got the bus ticket at the Buffalo and things have gotten better there. It's starting to look more like, a good cabin Biggio for the, you know, the, those flashes in time when we have seen such a creature. You know, he, he had a 4.62 on base percentage in AAA, which sounds good. It's only 39 at bats, but that means that translates to 10 walks and six strikeouts in those 39 plate appearances, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, that's something that could be helpful. Um, so he's back up with the Jays, and the interesting thing about this is if you think about where he might play. You know, he, you know, he started the year sort of a second base with Santiago Espinal, who's their you know number nine hitter, essentially. And he hasn't really been the problem. He's sort of held his own with a 340-odd you know, base percentage of his own. So it doesn't seem like benching Espinal for Biggio is doing anything at all to address the root problems in this lineup. So are they willing to move one of those guys over to third base and start sitting down? Matt Chapman a little bit. I I guess that's what I'm going to be looking to watch this weekend is to see if that
4: happens.
0: Well, I, I would be really surprised if they did that. You know, what really would surprise me less is if they set uh, uh, Boba Bichette, who's really been struggling. He, he hits a home run once in a while, but other than that, it's strikeout, 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 you know, weak ground ball, medium level fly ball. He just hasn't been hitting the ball at all. And he's making a ton of errors in the field. And, as many errors as you see on his record, if you look up his record on ESPN or baseball HQ or wherever you get that information, you're going to see a lot fewer errors than, than Bo has actually made because the Toronto scorekeeper is notoriously generous on that. In that regard, he's made throwing errors and fielding errors that have been scored base hits, which I'm sure is a, a delight for Toronto pitchers and those who have them on their fantasy rosters, IE me, which is why I noticed this kind of stuff. But, uh, I don't think Espinal's going anywhere. He might be the best hitter on the team right now, to be honest with you. And I don't think they can afford to to throw Chapman onto the bench either because they need his glove. He's covering up for for Bichette in a lot of ways by being so good at going to his left and cutting off balls that Bichette can't make errors on because because uh, <laughs> Chapman's fielding them instead. So um, I think maybe Biggio gets in there at the top of the order. I don't know, but uh, he, he, he should try to find a, a place to play because there's certainly no on-base percentage at the top of that lineup. Currently, Springer's doing all right. But as I said, Bichette really stinks. So what are the chances Biggio gives us some stolen base potential, though?
2: You know, it's been a little while since we've seen that from Biggio. There's there, there's a chance, certainly. Is, it, the first step is he's you know he's got to bring that on-base percentage to the major, so that he gets to first base and gets some opportunities to run. Uh, you know, as a reminder, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, he stole twenty bases uh, without getting caught at one, caught even once. So there's a, uh, you know, there's a track record of efficiency there. But as we're saying here, uh, you know, he only stole three bases last year, and the biggest reason why was he couldn't find his way to first base. So, you know, if he gets himself back in the lineup a little bit, gets on first base with some regularity, and to your point, this is a lineup that is looking for a spark. You know, there's a chance that. Uh, they turn a BGO loose a little bit and try to uh, manufacture little runs or get some uh, get some aggressiveness going to uh, you know spark this up and down the lineup. It, it it's not unheard of, and like you said, you know we're squinting to find these opportunities because we're all stolen base starved in this uh, current iteration of the game, right?
0: Not me. In my uh, in my Tal Wars League, I've got like sixty stolen bases. The next guy's got twenty-eight, and uh, of course I should be looking to trade the surplus, and I'm sure I will. But unfortunately, the stolen bases are coming from my really good players, except for maybe uh, Mateo in Baltimore is not contributing much beyond that. Uh, I have a question about the walks that uh, Biggio was picking up in Buffalo to generate that 460-ish OBP while he was down there. How well does that translate to major league level when you're doing MLEs, major major league equivalents?
2: You know, Traditionally, they translate pretty well, uh, but you know, that's probably something that, from a research point of view, needs to get refreshed, even if it's a uh, you know, post-2020 lost minor league season kind of initial look at that. You know, we've we've talked a, a bunch about uh, rookies and young players trying to make the transition from AAA to the majors in the last couple of years. And, you know, obviously we're seeing the likes of Jared Kellenick go up and down a couple of times and not be able to make the leap. And then we've seen some pitchers on the flip side of the coin have trouble too. And, it, you know, there's some evidence that the A to the majors gap has been exacerbated. And I, I don't know whether we're at the point yet where we could start to tease out whether that was just a lost 2020 minor leaguer effect and an add on of, uh, you know, that interruption in, in the development cycles, you know, maybe at the end of this season, we could take a look at that data and see if, you know, what we saw last year in 2021 was, you know, an aberration that it started to wash out of the data this year or not. So I long way around of saying that I've got to, I've got a good historical answer to that question, but I don't know if, I don't know how applicable it is to our current moment in history. Shall we say
0: from a just eyeball sort of point of view, it seems like it would be one of the things that would translate. Well, it's just watching for balls and strikes, but of course the pitchers are better in the major leagues and uh, the umpires might or might not be, but the, uh, the, the, the pitchers are probably more capable, well, clearly more capable of fooling hitters in the majors than they are in A, and maybe it's just easier to draw a walk down there. That's why I asked. I, I think it's pretty interesting because it seems like it should be a stat that normalizes pretty closely uh, or at least whatever whatever uh, ratio you come up with for it seem, should be pretty reliable. But I don't know. As, as you said, it probably requires more work. Uh, moving on, let's go to Seattle. They sent down right-handed reliever Drew Steckenrider to AAA on Thursday and to quote uh, Jim Bouton's ball four, what kept you? Uh, Rod Trusdell, covering the story for playing time today. Is this a one-way Steckenride?
2: Well, I think what kept him was the, uh, you know, he, he, he's... He is taking a walk to AAA, shall we say. Uh, you know, he was really good last year, part of a really effective Mariner bullpen that you know kept them in the pennant race for the last weekend, even though their uh, you know, their Pythagorean run scored, runs allowed numbers were not good, be, well, largely because their bullpen was fantastic and allowed them to win a ton of close games. And Steckenrider was a big part of that, but he couldn't carry it over. Uh, so far this year, he had a 418 expected ERA, his strikeouts per nine was uh. which is you know paltry in this day and age where even the 12th guy on your staff is striking out one guy per inning right uh and you know the swinging strikes weren't there either and he's given up home runs at a clip of uh 1.3 per nine that's that's all bad right so uh you know he had fallen out of the you know sort of bullpen by committee closer mix there and now he's fallen off the roster altogether and you i think you're right i think it might be a good long time before we see him again
0: There's always the possibility he figures it out in the minors, but uh, even his previous year's dominance rate was not that great. I don't think he was at uh, 9 per per 9. I think he was below that uh, strikeout per inning level that were kind of setting as a as a baseline these days as you said uh, he was part of the mariners closer committee at least for a while and he did have a couple of saves this year and a 1.411 leverage index which is pretty high so what happens to the committee now that Steckenrider's Rider's somewhere else
2: yeah th- so they've got to shuffle some things and you know per- it's all performance based and you know performances are you know have been kind of erratic in this pen you know the bullpen as a whole has not been the the weapon it was last year. Uh, Paul Sewald is probably more entrenched as the closer now uh, with Diego Castillo as sort of the, you know, 1A, 1B guy uh, and know that they'll probably handle the majority of the save ops on a, on a combination basis. The, uh, the the philosophy here with this team seems to be to try to avoid throwing guys on back-to-back days. So there's a sort of a day-on, day-off kind of structure to this. You don't see these guys, uh, now Castillo and Seawald. If they're one A and one B, you generally yeah. don't see them in the same game. Seawald uh, has been the one who has best carried over his breakout 2021. twenty. He's got he's had plenty of strikeouts and been mostly as effective as last year. Castillo had a bad April, but has settled down his last few starts. Uh, it's, you know it seems like he uh, maybe had a mechanical issue. His control is sort of snapped back into form. Uh, I'm not going to call him cured yet, but it, it, it does seem to be trending that way. Um, after that, it's you know there, there are other, other longer term options here. Andres Munoz, the uh, you know young flamethrower, had been sort of working his way into that uh, late-inning committee, but he's been getting knocked around lately. He gave up a game lo- losing grand slam here in Boston last weekend that kind of underscored that he's taking on water lately. And they're still waiting on Ken Giles, who you know. It, Given the injury problems he's had, it's probably a little bit unrealistic to expect him to come back and be the savior of this bullpen. But certainly I think he's about to go on a rehab start, rehab stint, and could quickly work his way into this uh, sort of late inning revolving door committee that they're using.
0: Yeah, Rob Trusdell in his coverage in playing time today said that Seawald's consistent skills seem to give him the upper hand, but there are certainly going to be more options, uh, including Giles, who's been kind of hanging around on the periphery all during this with various injuries. But uh, I talked to Gene McCaffrey about this, not on today's show, but way back when, and his opinion was they gave uh Ken Giles, a lot of money to come in. And obviously they did that because they wanted him to be the closer. So they're going to give him every opportunity to come and earn that big contract, aren't they?
2: You would think so. But I guess the flip side of that is now they're what? 1.3 years into the two-year big buddy commitment they made, they gave him. Right. So it's possible that, you know, things change. Things are not going well for the Mariners. If they don't turn it around pretty quickly, you know, maybe it's a case where they uh, bring Giles back, you know, just long enough to showcase him and put him back on the trade block I, and save the last two months of his of that, of that big contract. I I don't know. Uh, obviously, the, the season as a whole for the Mariners on a number of fronts has not gone the way they wanted to.
0: The White Sox put right-hander Joe Kelly on the 15-day IL, speaking of bullpen guys. He has a left hamstring strain, and they recalled a left-hander, Tanner Banks from AAA. Kelly was only a middle reliever, but he was getting the job done. Uh, Rick Green covered the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. How will the Sox manage while Joe Kelly's on the shelf again?
2: Yeah, Kelly, you know, it's not, it's overstating it to call his rise in this bullpen meteoric, but he had uh a, you know, sort of quickly risen from, you know, missing the first several weeks of the season, uh, coming back from, uh, an arm injury that, you know, shut him down in LA last year. You know, he wasn't ready to go when, uh, when the season started, but once he got activated, he he quickly worked his way into some leverage work. He had racked up six holds in really just a couple of weeks. Uh, but, but then, uh, five runs in and on four walks in his last couple of outings, uh, you know, so his ERA for the year in short work is, you know, over over nine right now. Uh, so we'll see how long it takes him to sort of get reset on the IL. Uh, and in, the, in the meantime, it uh, looks like Tanner Banks taking the roster spot, but, you know, nothing exciting there. Uh, he, he had a decent scoreless inning streak in April, but he's gotten knocked around a little bit since then. Uh, and, you know, to your reference earlier of leverage index, Man, he's pretty much the mop-up man. He's got a really low leverage index. So that's just telling us that uh, Tony Laruza is using him as a, uh, as a sponge for lack of a better term, I guess.
0: Just soaking up innings, uh, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good analogy. Uh, the White Sox manager, Tony La Russa, also told media that right-handed starting pitcher Lance Lynn is going to need at least three rehab starts at A Charlotte before they can activate him from the IL. Rick Green again for playing time today. So what is going on in that rotation while Lynn is rehabbing and presumably getting closer to coming back? Somebody's got to lose a spot there.
2: Yeah, you would think there's going to be at least... Three four five rehab starts there uh you know as they work him back, so that probably puts him into a mid late june time frame uh, and you know this white sox rotation has shuffled a little bit. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the context of uh vince Velasquez uh you know getting some starts here as you know the nominal fifth starter for a little while but but now it's seasonson and and in uh, being fairly entrenched and Johnny Cueto, who's been here for all of now two starts, I think, but they've both been very good starts. He's probably, I would think, jumped over Dallas Keuchel into the fourth spot. So I would think unless something changes again in the interim while Lynn is rehabbing, that if Cueto is pitching decently, it's going to have to be Keuchel who's on the chopping block when Lynn comes back.
0: When you said he's ju- jumped over uh, Dallas Keuchel in, on the list, I thought to myself, wasn't exactly a pole vault, was it? Uh, Keuchel, <laughs> Keuchel's got a 622 ERA and a 216 whip. That To me, oh. that's just miraculous that he hasn't already been sent to somewhere else. You'd think surely to heaven they have somebody who can outpitch a 216 whip, but... Maybe it's uh, Tony La Russa likes his veterans even when they're killing him, I guess. Uh, uh, last week, uh, Ray, you and I talked about the fact that uh, Baseball HQ had a uh, 4 hire sign up in the window and uh, we actually hired uh, quite a few new staff members and one of them, uh, Ryan Hoover, has taken over the American League Central beat and he reported this week in his first playing time tomorrow that there's been a turnaround in the Detroit infield. That's involving Willie Castro, one of the seemingly eight to 10 Castro's rotating through Detroit's roster and Jonathan scope. What's the story in the Detroit infield?
2: Yeah, this is interesting. Castro hit my fab radar a couple of weeks ago. Cause it looked like he was working up at the top of the order and, uh, was getting a bunch of hits. And Ryan Hoover correctly points out here that that seems to have been kind of short lived. In fact, uh, the shines coming off Castro a little bit. I've seen him drop from third to sixth in the order for most of this week. That might be as much about, uh, Jonathan scope heating up as anything else. Scope has jumped up to second in the lineup, which is a place I recall him spending a good bit of time last year. Uh, he's really picked it up in may. He's one of these guys that looks just like he was completely swinging with a noodle bat in April, but whether it's, uh, whether it's the weather getting warmer or whatever's going on with the baseball that seems to suit him now and didn't before, Uh, you know, his hard contact index is now bouncing straight, straight upward. Uh, The, the outward stats haven't quite followed because uh, he's still hitting a lot of ground balls, but uh, you know, things are trending in a good direction for scope and the Tigers seem to have uh, recognized that. And uh, AJ Hinch has shuffled the lineup accordingly. Uh, Scope, he he even had a uh, two homer game the other night, if I'm not mistaken.
0: He did. Uh, what happens if Castro continues to fade? Do you think? Because I heard a rumor about a a young player with a fairly famous last name.
2: Yes, Cody Clemens, son of Roger, right? Uh, he has been uh, raking in AAA. Uh, Twenty-three extra base hits in forty games. Uh, eight homers, six triples, nine doubles. So uh, you know, clearly having a lot of uh, a lot of good contact there. When he makes contact, uh, he's also got 44 strikeouts in uh, 40 games. So let's not get too excited. That's a uh, that's a bugaboo that we've seen hamper many a uh, players as they reach the upper minors and the majors. But uh, you know, if you look at what could happen here, you know we, they're a little blocked up in the term, If the Tigers wanted to get him up to the majors, because Scopes playing second base right now, and as we said, his bat is coming around and if they wanted to get Clemens up there who's the second baseman they'd either need to move scope to dh or first base or put Clemens in one of those spots but now you're talking about you know Spencer Torkelson their top prospect who you know admittedly is struggling is on his own with a 600 or so OPS but presumably they're going to stick with him a little bit longer and then of course uh the institution Miguel Cabrera at the other of fourth base and dh so you know something Kind of unexpected would have to give for uh, an opportunity to create for Clemens.
0: I noticed that uh, that item in uh, in the look at Cody Clemens that we had forty four strikeouts in forty games sounds like a lot, but I I looked him up. He's got one hundred and ninety plate appearances, so his strikeout rate is only around twenty five or twenty six percent, which is again, it's not super great, but it's not catastrophic like some of these guys when they come up.
2: No, exactly. It's not. That's tolerable if he holds that number when he comes up to the majors, and that's the question, right? Is is if the twenty five percent in AAA becomes you know thirty eight percent in the majors, that's a problem. But you know, if it goes to twenty eight or twenty nine percent, you know, you can live with that in this day and age. In the
0: majors, the other part about scope is that he's really playing solidly defensively at second. Uh, He did play first base. quite a bit last year. I think that was his main position last year. And then they brought up Torkelson, who's kind of a golden boy. And uh, I watch a fair amount of Tigers games because I have a number of the players on some of my rosters and the broadcasters. Gosh, every time this guy comes up, you'd think he was Lou Gehrig or, or something like that, even while he's sporting a 601 OPS the last time I looked. And you think to yourself, this is one of those instances where, you know, it seems like Torkelson's performance so far has been a matter of propaganda rather than of actual performance, and it's hard to imagine that anybody could come up to the big leagues, especially a guy like Clemens who seems to have some uh, some barrel in his approach and couldn't match a 600 OPS.
2: Yeah, it's true, and if you look around this entire Tigers lineup, uh, you know, you mentioned Scopes got a 600-something OPS. Torkelson does too. Javi Baez doesn't have a 600 OPS. He's at 579. <laughs> and, you know, that which is a big problem. And Miguel Cabrera, you know, has actually been pretty serviceable. He's hitting 300, but it's, a uh, you know, 300 with a 350 OBP, but, you know, no power. So you can't sit here and look at this team that's one of the worst run scoring teams in the league, stacked with all of these five and 600 OPSs and say, You know, there's no room to upgrade here. There has to be room somewhere, right?
0: (laughs) So you'd think. But again, uh, uh, Baez is the big offseason signing, making tens of millions of dollars. He's not going anywhere, uh, unless it's the injured list, of course. And uh, Cabrera's a Hall of Famer, and as you said, his OPS is around 750, which, you know, not great by his standards, but certainly great by Detroit offensive standards. I think maybe Detroit finds itself caught a little bit between a rock and a hard place. They can't bring these guys up because it's to, to do it properly, they'd have to supplant somebody that they are really pinning a lot of their hopes on, a lot of their marketing on, and uh, I, I don't imagine they would have too much trouble saying, here's Roger Clemens' kid, come see him. You know, I I'm, imagine there'd be some curiosity that might sell some some tickets, but it's it's always difficult to figure out what Detroit is doing historically, or at least as long as I've been playing fantasy baseball. Yeah,
2: the, the overall theme here. I mean, admittedly, this is a tough problem. They've got a lot of prospects they're trying to, you know, weave into the majors, into a way, and have them transition in a way that you know makes them successful for the long term. But they've got guys like Scope and Cabrera and Baez who are supposed to be the sort of veteran core of the team, and. It just seems like you know they made their decisions in the off season, and now it sort of seems like you know when things are not going well on a number of fronts, it puts them in a reactive kind of mode, right? And sure, they've got to be tempted to you know bring up Clemens both for the marketing and the actual infusion of offense that you know he might provide, but you know they've sort of boxed themselves in, into a corner because all of the pieces that we're talking about, as you say, they are by and large struggling top to bottom, but in for various reasons, whether monetary or you know, with Baez or, you know, future um cornerstone of the team like Torkelson, they're committed to all of these guys. So they need they need to let let them ride it out to some degree because they're, you know, they they can't undo the commitments that they've made here.
0: And to be fair to them, also, if they really believe that Torkelson is all that he's been made out to be, and he may well be, they maybe they're just thinking he's going to take his lumps first time through the league and figuring things out and, you know, realizing the difference between major league level pitching and AAA pitching or AA pitching, whatever he was hammering all over the place when he was in the minor leagues. And maybe it's a smart move by them to take their lumps now so that Torkelson is ready when that uh, fine young pitching staff really gets rolling and they actually, actually are in a position to be much more competitive than they've been low these many years.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was back in the off season. uh, It was a tiger centric blog or something that I read that sort of, that tried to paint a comparison between this young core of pitchers and hitters coming up as, uh, you know, reminiscent of the 1990 Atlanta Braves right before they took off for like a 20 year run. Right. That seemed very optimistic to me, shall we say, but uh, but but it, but it is indicative of, you know, if, if you believe in these players, you, you're exactly right. You do need to let them take their lumps, if for no other reason than to find out what you have and get some data behind them.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Ray, thanks a million. Always interesting to talk with you, and we'll catch up with you again next week. Looking forward to it. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site, and he covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Next up, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball from The Athletic. Gene's coming to the plate for his second appearance next on Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts
3: and Cracker Jack I don't care if I never get back Let me root, root, root for the home team If they don't win it's a shame For it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the old ball game Yes, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball from The Athletic. Gene, welcome back to part two.
3: Thank you. so good to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Gene, I just finished reading a draft of Ron Chandler's memoir, and it's really interesting and quite funny. He talks about, in the early going, how labor and tout wars got started, and he mentioned you and how you came into labor, apparently by setting your reputation by... Having a number of very high finishes in the Sporting News Fantasy Baseball Challenge, and I have to admit, I've never heard of it. So, how did that contest work, and why were you doing so well in it?
3: Well, it's now called the CDM Baseball Challenge, um, and it still exists. You can, on the NFBC site, you can still play. In fact, I'm thinking very seriously about playing their second second season game. They call it. Um, anyway, I always thought it was the the truest test of Roto knowledge. And, and I think that that opinion has been backed up by the fact that so many of the um, the players in that game from that became great Roto players. I mean, Lindy Hinkleman, Vlad Sedler, uh, Ked Magner, and Emmett Ruhlin. I don't want to start mentioning names because I'll leave somebody out. I already have. But really great Roto players who've established Scott Jensted, guys who established really big reputations rightly so came out of that that format um, and yeah i had done well in it and i had published a couple of wise guys but i think the real reason i got in was because i didn't uh bug john hunt i just told him he was the labor guy at the time he was labor and i told him early on he gave wise guy baseball a really great review and i told him at some point if anybody ever drops out of labor um, I'd like to have a shot, but I never bugged him about it. And then when somebody did drop out, I think he asked me if I wanted to be it you know, just because I didn't bug him about it. Uh, so lesson in there somewhere, I guess.
0: And the uh, CDM or Sporting News Fantasy Baseball Challenge, that's a salary cap game, right? It's like a daily game, but over a, over a whole season. You, can, you and I can both own Mike Trout. You and I can both own Julio Rodriguez. We just got to stay under the cap.
3: Exactly, and it, it, it weekly changes, weekly roster changes. You have a forty-man roster with twenty-eight active, so you have a big taxi squad, and you can you know, manipulate in and out. And the, I think the reason that I did well from the start of that was because um, the first thing I noticed, I was, I think I'm not sure. Well, I'm, I guess other people invented it too, but I was the, the first person to think, wait a minute, I want Rockies players to use them at home and to taxi them on the road. And that was a really big edge right at the, the beginning of that, the beginning of that game. We're going back to the early nineties here. Um, I mean, I had a, you know, I had Eric young at a super cheap salary in 1993 and he was fantastic. Um, so I, I take it at the same time, leaving your pitchers out, taking them out when they pitch in course Field, even if it was Greg Maddox, um, that really paid off early on, so that that helped me. But pretty soon, everybody caught on to that, and then it became uh, less of an edge.
0: What do you remember about those early experts leagues, Tout and Labor, when you were participating in them as kind of a, a, a new thing, if you will?
3: It was great. Uh, I, I was uh, I was really nervous. I had never done an auction. Before I got into labor, I had uh, done a draft in our really shallow office leads, but I had never done an actual auction. And so I was really nervous that uh, we weren't going to do very well. And uh, But we, we won labor the first year that we were in it. We got a little lucky to do it, I have to admit. Uh, but that really was what put me on the map as far as... Uh, uh, you know, the expert, the so-called expert's leagues are concerned.
0: Ron also mentioned your portrayal in the book Fantasyland. That was the uh, New- Wall Street Journal writer who came out and played in the league one year and wrote about the experience and and basically was using his insider access to ballplayers and stuff to, to try to win. And I think he did win the league, actually, the second time he, he went. I, I'm not exactly sure about that. But the portrayal of you in the book apparently fell a little short of accurate because the guy got your grandfather and your great-grandfather confused. And when Ron straightened it out, well, when you straightened it out via Ron, is how I heard it, it seems like the reality was much more interesting <laughs> than the way it turned out in the book, especially about your great-granddad, uh, who seemed like quite a character. Tell us about your great-grandfather.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, he he has this sort of, this, this writer had that sort of people magazine approach to, everything and i was not the the worst guy that he that he portrayed simplistically uh he really made trace wood look bad and i thought that was just unconscionable i don't really care Uh, anyway my great-grandfather uh was a new york city policeman who retired a millionaire in 1908
0: that was when a million dollars was real money
3: it was a lot of money in there um and so so Walker called him a corrupt cop, which is not really very accurate. I mean, nothing was legal tattoos were tattoos were illegal in New York in those days. Um, on the other hand, drugs were perfectly legal, so it, you know it, it doesn't have the same connotation anyway and so anyway, he he made a million dollars he retired. he blew it all on the track on drinking, on partying. He was a big baseball fan. In fact, he was friends with John McGraw. And the the Yankees of the 20s used to hang out at his house because he lived near Yankee Stadium in what was then a luxury uh, uh, area of the Bronx. So he he bought a big house, and he blew the rest of his money. Then he made another million dollars selling insurance um, at the bars on 3rd Avenue, which he was in the process of blowing when he died young. I mean, of course, I'd never met him, but I knew his wife, who lived to be 98. She was my great-grandmother. She played a mean ragtime piano, even though she was almost blind, into her 90s. She had two scotch and sodas before dinner every single night of her life and lived to be well into her 90s. So, uh, yeah, and then both my grandfathers were really big and sophisticated baseball fans, and as my father was, too, and my brothers and sisters, and they... I remember my grandparents talking about uh, players who walked and didn't walk, players who uh, had great defensive reputations but really had no range. I mean, when I was like eight or nine years old, way before Bill James, they would have loved Bill James when he came along. Um, I mean, in a way, the idea that, um, you know, it's true that Bill James reintroduced the concept of the walk and the concept of our percentage um but if you look at go back and look at John McGraw's career as a player you will see that he was very well aware of on base percentage as was as were all sophisticated uh baseball fans up until I think it was the way they changed the box score where they eliminated walks in the in the basic box score that made people sort of forget about him over the years that of the sports writing that uh you know the hero worshiping sports writers who didn't really pay a lot of attention to how the games were actually won and lost.
0: Hearing you talk about your great-grandfather's pursuits with his million-dollar jackpot, there's an old joke where the guy says, uh, wins a million dollars in the lottery. And somebody asked him, what'd you do with it? He said, well, I spent it on gambling, drinking, and partying, and the rest I wasted.
3: Right, yeah, but he did buy a big house, so at least he, you know, at least he got that out of his system. And uh, you know, took care of his family. And, uh, right. and I say he made another billion dollars. So he was. I would have loved to have known the man. My yeah, father yeah. used to tell stories about him. He used to, he used to pay my father. He would give him a quarter if he cursed in front of the ladies. When my father was like eight years old easy money easy money yeah my father learned his lesson quickly (laughs) 25 cents was a lot of money in 1934
0: you also figured in one of ron's stories about a tout wars draft that for reasons i don't remember i don't know if he explained fully but uh the draft was held in Steve Moyer's basement of all places in a relatively small city in in Pennsylvania somewhere. Uh, First of all, why were you guys in in Steve Moyer's basement rather than in a New York hotel?
3: Well, because Steve wanted to do it. Um, And everybody said, okay, uh, this way we don't have to pay for the hotel. I mean, I, I remember, I think the year before, we were in some dank basement bar on the Upper West Side, and it was I mean, Dank was there. I mean, the walls were dripping, as I recall. Um, but yeah, so we we had to f- uh, fly to Philadelphia and then drive up to Steve's outside of Bethlehem, and it was we had a great time. I, I, people complained about it because there was uh, it was kind of cramped at the table, but Steve had a great basement with a bar in it and all his baseball memorabilia, which he had a fabulous collection, um, and. John Mena and I, I just looked at the room and I walked in there and I walked over and sat at the bar rather than sit at the table so that I was not cramped at all and I had a great time. He had a keg of beer and a keg of birch beer for the teetotalers. I never I never drink when I'm in an auction so uh, drinking is for after the auction.
0: I had literally never heard of birch beer before I read it in Ron's account.
3: Yeah, it was, it's funny that Ron remembered it too. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like root beer, but, it, it be- but better. Um, it's a Pennsylvania thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> we had a no, I, we had a great time, and I heard people bitching about it. And Steve was uh, Steve was hurt that people were complaining about it, and, and, and we never did it again. But I, I would have been very happy if that had been become like the permanent place to
0: do. <laughs> to do no. <laughs> towards headquarters uh, basement in uh, it it's well, so it's so much more like the real experience that all the the, the readers out there you know most of them were drafting in some guy's basement or a, you know the elk hall or whatever it is
3: right well i mean it's obviously impossible now because it's so much bigger and there's all the media there and separate rooms for this station and that station and you know podcasts and the tv stuff and you can't do it anymore, but it, was, it just goes to show that the, the beginnings of it were small and humble.
0: Ron said in his account that uh, he remembers you wa- walking in and looking sidelong at all the children that were running around.
3: Oh, well, of course, I wouldn't look sidelong. I'm used to a lot of children running around. I have nine, and especially in those days, I mean, all none of my kids were old, so I was used to the, the, the complete chaos of having kids running around. In fact, I liked it. You know, I mean, it's, to this day
0: i like it you know i I played years ago in a home league and every year we had some kind of trouble finding a place we used to rent hotel rooms but they got costed out of sight and we went to the banquet rooms of a couple of hotels but you had to buy a, a 24 meals to qualify for the free room and this was in regina saskatchewan which is uh the capital city of the province and uh this guy says, well, I'm from Radville, which is a little farming community of about 4,000 people an hour or so outside of town. And he says, I think I could get our, I don't know, the Veterans Hall or whatever it was called. It was right by the train tracks. I remember that. And uh, we said, well, you know, what do we got to lose kind of thing? And we went out there. And like the fact that the draft was being held was the front page story in the town newspaper. First of all, you know, (laughs) baseball experts convene in Radville, and (laughs) I, I don't remember it was it was a service club of some kind and the wives' auxiliary asked if they could make a a meal for us while we were there. Why not? You know, what do you want for it? Oh no, it'd be on us. So we didn't even have to pay for it. We didn't have to pay for anything. And (laughs) and they, we, we get there and the ladies come in they say, if you're ready for your lunch, come on out. And there's 12 of us, keep in mind, maybe 13, a guy, one or two guys had partners. And we go, leave our auction room, which they had laid out for us in a nice open square, lots of room, you know, powered things everywhere. And we go into the the area where the food was and it was like they were expecting maybe 80 people. There was two, <laughs> two whole roast turkeys, a big roast beef. There was potatoes piled up to the ceiling. Oh my God. And we're all looking around thinking either I've died and gone to heaven or I've actually died from some kind of heart attack here. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you go to these unusual small places to have your drafts, how much fun you can have without even really thinking that it's going to happen. I enjoy tout wars in the hotels and wherever we have them. Cause it's, you know, it's the draft. It's the most interesting part, but sometimes I wonder if we're missing something by corporatizing it to the extent that it gets corporatized.
3: Yeah, I guess it's inevitable, but you're right. It's- the local touch good farm fair
0: yeah uh you got kicked out of labor at one point
3: i did that is true um (laughs) and the reason was because i in in one wise guy baseball i called the usa today a dreadful rag
0: (laughs) (laughs) biting the hand that feeds you
3: well first of all you i think they still run labor but i mean they were so cheap I figured this is Gannett, you know, the biggest newspaper chain in the cosmos. They made us pay our own fare. They made us pay our hotels. They didn't even buy us a damn free lunch. I mean, that was the least that they could do. We were just the content, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I was prejudiced against them to start. So anyway, so I got an email from this guy, uh, the manager, not John Hunt, who I loved. Um, he said to me you called the USA Today a dreadful rag and we can't have you in our league anymore. Um, You've already been invited this year, but I want you to know that this is your last year and we're never going to have you in again. I wrote him back a a screed. (laughs) (laughs) And like saying, what the hell do you care? What I think, you know, little old me cares about the USA Today. I have zero impact on anything that you do. I remember, I'll tell you something. You ever go to their building, which is outside D.C., we had the auction there one year, and there's a glass front with these enormous logo. This is their motto of the USA Today. Their motto is, words in their right order. And I looked at that and I said, George Orwell is drooling with envy in his grave at this. I mean, this is the USA Today. I mean, they, they make People Magazine look like Summa Theologica. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and, and what do you care what I think anyway? Anyway, I wrote him this screen. I copied John Hunt. John Hunt writes me back. and said, this is great. I showed this to my wife, and she, who also wrote for Gennett. And he said, and she wrote, who is this guy? I love him. <laughs> and so... So I, I want to meet her someday too. Uh, but it wasn't John Hunt's fault. As I say I loved him. Uh but that was it for Gene and Labor.
0: <laughs> when you said uh, words in the right order was their was their motto and the first thing my first thought was Not exactly the highest standard in the world, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Words in the right orders, like what you're looking for for a grade three uh, essay, you know. (laughs) Exactly. You got the adjective ahead of the noun again, Jimmy. Come on.
3: (laughs) Well, in a way, it's perfect. I mean, that's about their intellectual level—the fourth grade, Um, (laughs) and it it always has been. I haven't read it in decades, but I assume it's probably worse now. Now it's probably down to second grade. Uh, (laughs) but, But anyway. Um, and as they say, what do they care what Gene McCaffrey thinks of their dreadful rag? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the proverbial gnat on the dinosaurs asks, you know, <laughs> well, why is the dinosaur getting upset? It, it, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. You, you were also one of the uh, charter members of Ron's XFL League that runs every f- uh, first pitch Arizona every year. And it was a quite a departure from normal rotisserie in a, a lot of ways. And, uh, I know you were enthusiastic about it, but maybe you could briefly explain for people who don't know what XFL is all about, how it's different from your standard rotisserie league.
3: Well, the reason I was, well, first of all, it's a keeper league, but the reason I was enthusiastic to begin with is because it was a chance to do an auction at first pitch Arizona. I, I just love to do auctions. I love to do drafts and to be able to do one there was just, well, it was a no brainer. as a of course I want to do it. I want to be there. And especially to compete against all the guys who were we were competing against. You know, So that was great. It was a weird league in the sense that I think it's still this way. Um, you could only nominate players who were on the baseball HQ depth chart um, and not kept. So there were always several players who were worthy of taking money who you couldn't even bid on. Um, and it was supposed to be a very low maintenance league. Of course, that changed pretty quickly.
0: Doesn't it um, always? Yeah.
3: Well, it has to, because in, in a keeper league, uh, by, by definition is maintenance, uh, but we compensated for that fact by having a 17 player draft in March. So, I mean, those players eventually did wind up on teams and it sort of compensated for the, uh, for the fact that they weren't available then. Um, so yeah, I mean that was the, and I think it's still that way, and it's still a you know an offbeat league. I think we went to on base percentage very early, maybe the first league that I knew of that that went to on base percentage instead of batting average, which I like too. Although actually I like them both. I like to do both. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, it was an unusual. And the other unusual part of the league is that in players' salaries, you could draft players um, when they were in high school, which was Steve Moyer famously uh, drafted Bryce Harper as a high school player.
0: And um, Seth Beer, didn't
3: he? Uh, that's right. Yep, you're right. Well, one worked and the other.
0: Yeah, yeah, not so much.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that I, I guess he could still be a good player, I guess. It's possible. Uh, but anyway, you could have traded him, too. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, once you got into that kind of deep thing, I never did very well in the league. I, and I think it was because I always said, well, I'm not going to pay that much attention to the prospects. I'm just going to try to, uh, wing it every year. And there was never any draft prep or anything like that. So it was, that made it uh, harder, harder for me because it's not my style. My draft prep is my style. So, uh. I, I kind of took it. Also, there was no money involved, so I tended to shut it to the back.
0: So, uh, speaking uh, of draft prep, anyway. uh, I, I remember Ron telling me I, I, we were allowed, fans were allowed to come and just watch the proceedings of the XFL draft as part of First Pitch Arizona's program. And I remember something else that was really stood out for me was you guys weren't allowed to take any prep materials into the draft. It was one sheet of paper, was all you were allowed.
3: That's right. That's right. One sheet of paper, and then you got another sheet of paper to write your team down on. Um, that was part of the thing. It was, well, well, you know, you guys are supposed to be experts, you know, let's uh, prove it. Which I, I thought that was fine, but it's weird, you know.
0: It is, but it's, uh, it was, an. as you said, it's an interesting test of acumen to oblige you to do it all pretty much from memory or whatever you could cram onto a, a single sheet. And I think that was a particularly interesting thing about the XFL. Is it still done that way, do you know?
3: Uh, yes, as far as I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not in it for The last two years I haven't been in it, But I, uh, but it was that right up to the last time that I was in it.
0: Ron's memoir spends a chunk of time discussing what makes someone a, quote, fantasy expert. And I wonder what you think qualifies someone to call themselves a fantasy expert or if it's worth doing at all.
3: Well, if you call yourself a a fantasy expert, I'm automatically suspicious, even though it might be true. I mean, it's really hard to say. I I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself a serious student of, of the game. And then, the other thing is there's two there's different kinds of expertise there's uh you know I'm I'm good at figuring out the players I'm not so good at the at the in-season play and keeping track of everything which to me is not really expertise at all but it's more like diligence and uh and stick to itiveness uh, but I think that in general to, you have to do well in uh, you know big money leagues or in other expert leagues, if you consistently do well, I think that qualifies you as someone who knows what he's talking about, if not, you know, expert. I mean, the word is kind of fraught these days. Uh, uh, yeah, just so someone who knows what he's doing and somebody whose who's, who opinion is worth respecting.
0: I agree, and I think the other part of it is has some kind of ability to convey that expertise to other people. It's well and good to be an expert on something, but especially if you're if you want to make money advising people on it, then it behooves you to be good at you know, and perhaps even somewhat entertaining at conveying what you know, what your expertise is to people who might be interested in consuming it. I always thought that was the big strength of wise guy baseball is that you have a really, um, what's the word, iconoclastic point of view and a really individual style of writing that's kind of, um, laugh out loud, funny sometimes, but also droll at other times and, and you know, sidelong uh, a little bit. It's a good mix and it's fun to read. And I think there's a element of that that qualifies somebody as an expert as well, is make it readable and, and let people benefit from your expertise, whatever it is.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I want to entertain people. I want to inform and entertain. And that's, if I can do that, then, I mean, I don't care whether it qualifies as expertise or not. It just qualifies as making people happy and informing them. And that's what it's all about.
0: You haven't been, uh, publishing in the athletic of late. Are you planning to go back to that?
3: Yeah, I will. I just felt like I was scraping the bottom of the barrel and I don't like handing in something that I think is uh, second rate. And I'm sure I'll be back when I, when I feel, uh, uh, recharged. I'm almost certain that I'll do my profiles, which, uh, which now I'm doing all basically all the profiles like, uh, on The Athletic except for the relief pitchers who are more than ably taken care of by other people. Um, so I'm pretty sure that I'll do that, and I'll probably be back later in the season when I feel recharged and have something that actually helps people and and actually has some, have something to say rather than thinking, whoa, what am I going to write about this week? You know, I got to <laughs> do this. Um, so. You know, I have that flexibility, and they're very good to me. Nando and, and Brandon Munson are very flexible and very considerate. In, uh, you do whatever you want, and we'll publish it type of thing. And so that's that's great. And I'm sure I'll be back.
0: And what about the uh, Wise Guy Baseball Annual? Has that been superseded by the profiles going to the Athletic?
3: Absolutely. I I'm not allowed to uh, contractually. I'm not allowed to publish what I. But there in other places so and that's far with me i did no change in what i do It's just to tr- change it this way more people read it so that's definitely a net plus for me i don't make as much money i might add uh, but uh, so what
0: you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick Davitt with gene mccaffrey from the athletic and wise guy baseball we're seeing a lot of young super prospects coming up this season perhaps more than in past years because of service time shenanigans and I think the CBA was adjusted to the last labor agreement so that they discouraged that to a certain extent for the very top prospects but Seattle brought up right-hander George Kirby do you remember George Kirby the the African-American entertainer in the 50s and 60s
3: I very I guess I do he was an impressionist.
0: An impressionist, yeah, and a musician. I think he played the piano, and uh, he he, he appeared on Carson and shows like that uh, quite a bit. I remember him too, and I'm uh, mostly from reruns, I guess. Uh, Baltimore brought up top catcher prospect Adley Rutschman. What's your general approach to picking up prospects as they come in season?
3: No general approach. It's all about the individual player. Um, I'll go hot and heavy for him if I think he's going to help me. Um, even if I don't have a spot for him, if I think he's going to be good, I'm still going to I'm still going to bid for him and and make sure that whoever does get him, if it's not me, pays through the nose for him because these guys can have a lot of value if it's the right guy and the right you know if it's the right prospect. They so often do contribute right from the start.
0: Well, Rutschman in particular is interesting to a lot of people because he's a catcher, and it's so difficult to find catchers. What do you think of Rutschman as a fantasy asset for the rest of this season?
3: Uh, I think he's going to be probably a top-10 catcher. Um, I don't think there's anything holding him back. He's got the whole package. He's uh, the whole hitting package, That is to say. Um, Sometimes catchers struggle early. That's something to take into account, but since – So many catchers are struggling anyway. Uh, The standard is very low to be top 10 these days. So um, I would go really hard for him if uh, uh, if I needed him. Of course, he was drafted in most leagues, so he's not a bad guy.
0: That's right. Uh, in every league I'm in, he was already rostered through the draft process or the auction process. So um, we're all looking enviously now that he's up, and he he looks like he's he looks like an athlete. I'll say that for him. Uh, but then again, do you remember uh, a number of years ago at first pitch, we we got a look at Matt Weeters, another Baltimore catcher, first round guy, uh, can't miss kind of prospect, and he never really amounted to much as an offensive catcher anyway.
3: Oriole too. Uh- yep. Yeah, I mean he was supposed to be he, he was supposed to battle it out with Buster Posey for the, you know, the catcher of the decade and uh it never really happened and uh, yeah, I mean it, it, nobody's a guarantee but I, I but I think that he's a really good catcher, is a really good bet, you know, as opposed to a guarantee.
0: I remember at that first pitch Arizona we were out at the AFL and we were at a game that um Weeders was catching and somebody, whoever was hitting popped a, popped a little tiny foul fly right back over his head and he took the mask off to look for it and he found it and then he reached out and caught it with the mask. And everybody, you remember?
3: Yeah,
0: right. Can't do that, Matt. Uh, It was uh, everybody in the the crowd, like it was thousands of people, probably a couple of hundred people, but everybody stood up and cheered because it was such a great play. And then the umpire says, no, he's not out. (laughs) You got to catch it with the glove, not the mask. But it was such an athletic play for a guy as big as he was. And I think Rutschman's the same. He looks like a pretty big character and um, certainly got uh, all the athletic ability in the world. What about the George Kirby, the right-hander that Seattle brought up uh, not a totally auspicious start to his big league career?
3: Well, he's got really great control with velocity. And I think, you know, given the fact that, uh, that he's in that ballpark and, and that there are no hitters parks in the AL West. Um, I think he's a really good bet to, uh, to have an ERA well under four and a whip just a little over one. Uh, I'm really disappointed that I didn't get him in, in my uh, in the fair bidding in my main event, but he went for well over $300, which tells you something, you know, it's over a third of the budget or a third of the budget. Um, so that tells you that smart people are into him and I'm sure he's gone in all leagues, but yeah, I think he's, his prospects are are really good
0: Uh, third baseman Nolan Gorman of St. Louis or Gorman I've heard it pronounced Gorman and Gorman I don't actually know which it is but however you say it he strikes out a ton in in the minor leagues at any rate what do you think of him as a uh, possible add for a roster in uh, 2022 given the strikeouts
3: well he's more problematic because of those strikeouts but one thing that he's got is tremendous natural power there's a video of him going around. You can see it on YouTube of him. And it looks like he's just flicking the ball off to the opposite field. And it went out of the ballpark. So he's got serious power. And again, I think that if you're you're in home run trouble, you've got to make a big play for him and, and just hope that that he could uh, hit the home runs, even striking out 30% of the time, which he may strike out more than that. Uh, but it's not impossible to... To be successful, at least short term, doing that. So I think that if you're, uh, you got to make a play for him, and if you're in home run difficulty, you got to make a big play for him, which is already done, I guess.
0: I thought he was at around thirty percent strikeouts in AAA, and we'd expect that right. to go up in the big leagues. The pitching's better. Right. <laughs> if, if, yeah. if, if so, uh, what about Matt Liberatore, uh left-hander in St. Louis? They called him up as well, top one of their top prospects.
3: Yeah, of course you got the. Find a better team to pitch for, but I don't really see it. Uh, I don't see it to make him a dominating pitcher. I mean, maybe if he moved to the bullpen and added some velocity, that might change things. But I don't think that he's worth uh, more than a token bid. And even if you get him, I'd be very suspicious. I believe they sent him down again. And uh, I think he belongs now in the minor leagues. And I'm not really... That's thrilled about his immediate prospects.
0: The Cubs called up a third baseman, Christopher Morrell, and I tried like heck to to make a mushroom joke out of that, but uh, Christopher yeah. Morell in Chicago, what do you think?
3: Um, he overcame. He had a horrific accident. They said he would never play again, um, but he is playing. Um, one thing about him is that uh, fan graphs and baseball reference have him listed as 140 and 145 pounds. Which is not true, um, but he's got pop in his bat, and he's not a, a a tankish ball player. And I I think that's always worth noting. Um, so I, I I think he's going to play. I think he's better than what the Cubs have now, and I think he's going to be unspectacular but solidly really good.
0: Yeah, when you hear about those relatively low body weight guys, smaller guys, it makes it makes me think two things good mechanics, probably like a good swing and possibly a wiry type of build like uh, Alfonso Soriano back in the day or Buxton, you know, guys like that, Eric Davis, uh, whose name comes up every time I think of uh, Byron Buxton, but those, those wiry, whippet type of guys could generate a lot more power than you'd expect looking at their body weights, which are sometimes, you know, sub 200 pounds and, and don't 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 count out Christopher Morrell just because he's not two hundred pounds. As I guess the message there, uh, the Yankees called up right-hander Luis Gill, and I remember Luis Gill from past seasons. So, how do you like him for this season now that he's back in the big leagues? Uh,
3: I think he had Tommy John surgery the other day. Oh, did he? I believe so. I'm mean, look at. I I'm almost sure that I read that somewhere. Um, I think he's going to be pretty good then. In, 18 months because he's got the, he's got uh, great velocity and he, he's got potential, but I, I would bet on instant success for him, but but certainly not now.
0: Well, I'm glad I didn't put in a bid. Uh, how about Ryan Pepio in Los Angeles where they just seem to churn out starting pitchers like they're coming off of a, uh, Ford assembly line.
3: Uh, again, great team to pitch for, but he, if his control isn't good, he's not going to make it. I think, uh, I think Mitch White is closer than than Pepio is, uh, so I would shy away from him.
0: In Arizona, they called up uh, Alec Thomas. This guy seems to be generating a lot of debate in the podcast world, in the so-called tout experts world. What do you think of Alec Thomas?
3: Uh, I think he's worth pursuing. Um, He's another guy. He's not a, a really big guy, but everyone talks about how strong he is. His father's a conditioning coach so you know he's been uh, brought up right and uh, it looks like he can play center field he's passably they're letting him hit against lefties which I think is a big thing Um, so I think he's going to be he's got a little hidden speed too Um, so I think that he's going to be an asset going forward
0: and finally what about uh, power speed combination outfielder Luis Barrera in Oakland Uh, certainly certainly Coming up to play for Oakland, there's not a lot of guys standing in your way.
3: No, um, and he's not a, a traditional prospect, and then he's 26 and a half. Um, but he does have power and speed, um, and I think he's going to play against uh, against righties. I'm not sure at all. He, he's only got like five appearances against lefties, so um, he's going to be limited. I think in, in terms of that. But I, I mean, you know as well as I do, there's plenty of uh, good ball players who are not, uh, you know, who come up late. And, and especially when they've got the power and the speed capability. So I think that, yes, he's definitely worth pursuing in, in these days of uh, stolen based dearth.
0: I often wonder, because I don't play DFS anymore, how those platforms tend to value newly arrived prospects. And f- from your experience, I know you play DFS. Do the platforms seem to get the price right on guys like this when they first come up? Or are they overpriced, underpriced? Generally bargains? Generally not? Or is it all over the place?
3: Uh, somewhat all over the place, but generally they're way underpriced. Uh, they have very low prices. And you, one thing you gotta you gotta watch out for with them is you don't want anybody in DFs who's going to be pitched in for um, during the game. So um, that's kind of a little bit of a problem, but they tend to be um, really good uh, dump plays when you have an expensive pitcher and you want expensive hitters. They tend to, they're they often really super cheap, and they tend to be good plays like that as long as, as they say, they don't pitch it for them in the fifth inning.
0: Did you happen to notice what Rutschman was going for in DFS uh, lineups when he first came up?
3: Uh, no, I didn't notice. Um, I must have had other guys that... Uh, that day that I really wanted.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it figures that it, it, you would have noticed if it was a, like a screaming bargain.
3: Yeah. And also I haven't been playing um, draft Kings that much. I've been playing a lot of FanDuel, duel and um, they tend to have a lot of super cheap players. That's one of the reasons I've been playing it. Um, and so, I mean, it seems to me that almost every day there's a guy who, Oh, I have to have this guy. He's batting first and he, and his salary is twenty four hundred dollars, so I you know, I've gotta take him. Uh, and I know they're not gonna pinch it for him. Not that they would pinch it for Rutschman either, but um, right. a lot of a lot of times prospects when they first come up, they'll do they will pinch it for him in their first few games.
0: Are there any prospects you're interested in seeing later this season that haven't come up so far?
3: Yeah, two in particular. Uh Riley Green on the Tigers. Um, who's hurt, but should be back. Um, he's got a great lefty swing. The team desperately needs his left handed at bat. Um, and he's got a chance—a really good chance for instant success. Maybe better than, uh, than Torkelson, who seems to be coming around himself. Um, but he's, he looks like he's more of a, of a pure hitter, whereas Torkelson, uh, at this point, is probably going to be more of a power guy than a batting average guy, I think Riley Greene can do can do it all, and the other guy everybody's waiting for Grayson Rodriguez to come up, and I I think he's a guy who has nothing to prove in the minors. Um, he he's dominant, he's big, he's his control looks like it'll be good enough. Uh, we'll go and take a hit in the majors. Um, uh, but he's got great stuff, and he's big, and he's throws hard, and so I think that he's. He's ready to come up, and I've got him on one team, and I really need him, so I hope he comes up soon.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Gene McCaffrey from The Athletic and from Wise Guy Baseball. And Gene, I always like to wrap up these discussions looking at some boons and banes. These are players who are going to be good value the rest of the season. Those are the boons or bad value for the rest of the season. Those are the banes. Let's start with our boons. In the American League, who's a batter you think could be a boon?
3: Uh, Jose Abreu, um, slow start. He's hitting, I think, 225, but his hard his hits are through the roof. His strikeouts are down, and he's getting a little old. The weather's warming up. Um, he's a guy who I think is probably going to go off
0: coming going forward. In the National League, who's a batter who could be a boon?
3: Allagan uh, like Hap on the Cubs. He's uh, his strikeouts are down. Again, the weather's you know it's such a terrible place to play uh, when in April, um, and he's done much better with his strikeouts. So he's not going to be, uh, you know, your basic high strikeout, uh, high strikeout fly ball hitter. I think he's going to hit home runs. I think his batting average is going to stay better than respectable.
0: Over to the mound. How about an American league pitcher who could be a boon?
3: I uh, got hammered his last start, but I absolutely love Dylan Cease. He got hammered the other night because his curveball was rolling over, but he, uh, He's got the highest strikeout rate of any starting pitcher. I think his control is only going to get better. Um, so I think that he's going to. he's got a chance to uh, get Cy Young votes by the end of the season.
0: And in the National League, a Boone pitcher?
3: Never thought I'd say it, but Tyler Anderson on the Dodgers has just been phenomenal. Um, he's throwing his changeup way more. He's got a 25% swing strike rate on it. I mean, he's getting weak fly ball contact. His control is superb. The team is great. I think that, uh, you know, I mean, he's gone. He was a beautiful, cheap free agent pickup early in the season. Too late most leagues now, but uh, but I think he's going to keep it up.
0: Over to the Baines we go. Let's go back to the American League, and who's a batter who could be a Bain.
3: Uh Not that he's going to be terrible, but J.D. Martinez is not. I don't think his home runs are going to come. Uh, he's not hitting enough fly balls. Uh, I think he's still going to be good. I mean, he's hitting 360, so you can't knock them. We have that's going to come down. Uh, but I think he's going to wind up being a bit of a disappointment and uh, more like the eighth-round pick that, that he was this year. I think the public had a bet.
0: In the National League, who's a batter who could be a bane?
3: That guy has been really good, but if you're – a sell-high guy, I don't think he, there are many players you could get more for than Dolph Varsho. And I don't think he's going to be bad from now on. But I think that he's he's about at his peak. As, if you look at his Babbitt compared to his fly ball, which Babbitt should not be over 300, as well over 300. Um, he also steals a few bases, but not so many that it makes... The fact that he's a catcher makes the stolen bases a little... Uh, overrated I think and I think you can get a tremendous amount for him if you trade of now and I think that that's the other thing and one other thing is that that ballpark tends to play more hitter friendly early in the season before they have to close the roof because it's 180 degrees uh, um, so that's another minor factor that I think will lend him you know he's hitting he's, he's hitting well into the 260s but I would expect to wind up in the in the 240s, and yes, he will hit some home runs and have some power. You're not ripping off whoever you're selling him to. Uh, uh, but I think that you could get a lot for him at this stage of the game.
0: Back to the mound we go. Who's an American League pitcher who could be a bane?
3: Well, I hate to say it, Patrick, but Jose Barrios, I just, I don't see it. I mean, not only is he, I mean, his expected ERA is about as bad as anybody's could be, and I don't see any signs that he's, uh, and he's going to turn it around. So glad I don't have him anywhere.
0: I'm glad you don't have him anywhere either. I wish I didn't <laughs> at, at some point. Ordinarily, as I said earlier, you, you watch your pictures on TV and you think to yourself, something's not going the way I expect it to. And then, as you said, then you go to the Statcast page, and you go to the FanGraphs page, and you go to the Baseball HQ page, and you look at uh, the pattern. And the pattern, uh, especially for strikeouts, first pitch strikes, those kinds of metrics, are all trending downward and pretty quickly. And it seems to be because there's, as I mentioned earlier, there's an absence of a strikeout pitch. He hasn't got, you know, that. That dominating curveball or that crazy moving slider that, that he can use with two strikes to to get the strikeout and his strikeout rate is way down and I suppose they've got good pitching coaches in Toronto or so they say I hope that maybe somebody can figure out what's going on get changes pitch mix or something but yeah Jose Barrios uh, not doing well and could continue not doing well and that's a concern uh, finally who's a National League pitcher who could be a bane?
3: Uh. Also on the Dodgers is uh, Julio Urias. Not that I think he's going to be bad, but his velocity is down. His swing strikes are down. Uh, he's a fly ball pitcher, so he's going to allow some home runs. So, again, I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I don't think he's going to be uh, – You know, he was a, a near ace is the way he was drafted. And I, I think that he's going to be lucky to have an ERA under four from here on in. Uh, one other thing about Barrios, the possibility is – that he's pitching hurt, that there's something wrong. And so that's the one hope that that you can take from that. And, you know, maybe he'll do a little stint up at DL and come back and be more like the guy that who was pretty consistently good. So, you know, the fact that he has been so surprisingly bad is a small indicator that maybe there is something physically wrong.
0: Gene McCaffrey's boons: Jose Abreu of the White Sox, Ian Happ of the Cubs, Dylan Cease of the White Sox, and Tyler Anderson of the Dodgers. His Baines, J.D. Martinez of Boston, Dalton Varsho of Arizona, Jose Barrios of Toronto, and Julio Arias of the Dodgers. Uh, Gene, this has been terrific. Tell our listeners where they can keep up with Gene McCaffrey.
3: Well, when I get back, I'll be doing The Athletic, but even if I'm not writing for The Athletic, please subscribe. Anyway, there's great stuff on there. Uh, stuff you won't see anywhere else like the same is true of HQ of course um, but yeah and I'll tr- I'll probably be back later uh, later on when I feel inspired
0: well when you are of course uh, let me know uh, well I'll notice because I subscribe to The Athletic and read it regularly but uh, when you get back uh, we'll talk again uh, during the year it's always fun to talk with you and uh, I hope your leagues go well I hope your writing goes well I hope everything goes well and I'll talk to you later on in the year
3: you too, Patrick. Thank you for having me. It's always a tremendous pleasure.
0: Gene McCaffrey is the wise guy of fantasy baseball and writes for the Athletic. A quick break here, and then we're back with our HQ commentaries, the frequent flyer, and extra innings coming up on Baseball HQ Radio.
4: Mookie Wilson still hoping to win it for New York. Three and two, the count, and the pitch by Stanley at a ground ball, trickling. It is a fair ball. Gets by Buckner. Stanley third night. The
3: HQ Radio.
0: Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. PD here. Time now for our regular commentaries. My extra innings comment is coming up. And leading off, it's the frequent flyer, a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth a spot on your roster. Here with a look at St. Louis outfielder Alec Burleson is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky.
1: Just over a year ago, May 4th, 2021 to be exact, St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Alec Burleson made his minor league debut for High A Peoria. Drafted in the second round in 2020, 70th overall by St. Louis. Wait, did you catch that? Alec Burleson was drafted in 2020 and debuted at High A in 2021. So he started at High A. That's pretty unusual. Then he played 11 games for the High A Peoria Chiefs before moving to Double-A Springfield on May 17th in 13 days. Wow! Next, he spent the remainder of May plus June and July with Double-A Springfield before being promoted to Triple-A Memphis on August 3rd. Once again, he started 2021, his first professional season, at high A and climbed a triple A by August, batting .270 with 22 home runs through three levels of the minors in 2021. That's amazing! Fast forward to this season and through his first 37 games in 2022, Burleson is currently batting .303 with nine home runs and a .907 OPS at AAA. Yet even though Burleson's hitting is not in question, Burleson's defense may be, well, questionable. He's not necessarily known for his speed. That's why 23-year-old St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Alec Burleson, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Even so, despite only 601 at-bats in the minors advancing three levels in one year, Burleson certainly does not look overmatched at the plate in AAA. Burleson flaunts a smooth left-handed stroke with plus raw power, coupled with a strong feel for the barrel, according to Baseball HQ's 2022 Minor League Baseball Analyst, page 31. Indeed, that smooth left-handed stroke has produced a contact rate of 84% in 2022, just slightly above his career 79% contact rate, including 2021. Once again, because of Burleson's rapid one-year ascent to AAA, these numbers at best represent only a small sample size. Nevertheless, Burleson's 79% career, or one-plus years, contact rate, which measures a batter's ability to get wood on the ball and hit it into the field of play effectively, mirrors Baseball HQ's 80% contact rate benchmark for baseball's elite hitters. Thus, when combined with his 8% walk rate, Burleson's 79% contact rate perhaps suggests consistency and patience at the plate. Factor in his plus raw power, it's easy to see why 23-year-old St. Louis Cardinals outfielder Alec Burleson may soon be promoted as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has his frequent flyer commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for extra innings, my comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I'd like to talk about my bizarro Lima plan. I'm sure you've heard of the Lima plan. It's Ron Chandler's invention from back when dinosaurs walked the earth, targeting low-cost, high-skill relievers to help control the pitching decimals. High skills, the definition, has changed over the years. We now use thresholds of 30% strikeout rate, I actually use 29%, 20% strikeout minus walk rate, and a maximum 1.1 home runs per nine. Back in the day, it was six strikeouts per nine innings, can you believe it? Most of us use Lima as part of building our teams, sometimes inadvertently, especially if we play in leagues with deeper player pools. You don't have to do Lima in a 10-team or 12-team mixer, and in fact it's probably a bad idea, you're missing out on saves but in a 15-team mix, you can use Lima relievers to fill in for your streaming starters who are on the bench for whatever reason that week. And in 12-team-only leagues, well, you have to use Lima guys because there just aren't enough usable starters and closers to go around. I used a Lima approach in my 12-team American League-only Tout Wars team this season, as I usually do, but it's turned out to be a bizarro Lima team. The bizarros, in case you don't know, are the chalk-faced zombie-like people in Superman comic books back in the times before Ron Chandler walked the earth. They're mirror people. They do everything in the reverse of what we normal people do. In my tout draft, I built a seven-starter staff. Try saying that five times quickly. My four core starters were, and still are, Kevin Gausman, Jose Barrios, Fran Valdez, and Shane Baz. The matchup streamers were supposed to be James Caprellian, Carlos Hernandez of Kansas City, and Chris Flexen in Seattle. My Lima guys were Aaron Bummer and Jimmy Garcia of Toronto, whom I picked in the reserve. I also had Nate Pearson as a dollar-days gamble that he might turn out to be a late-innings monster in Toronto, vulturing wins like crazy, or maybe even a good starter. Some glitches occurred even while the lockout was still on. Baz, Pearson, and Caprellian were on the I.L. to start the year. I D.L.'d all three of them and replaced them with Lima guys. Garcia from reserve and Andrew Chafin and Domingo Acevedo via fab. Chafin was I.L.'d himself almost immediately, so I fabbed Juan Duran. Hernandez was just awful, so I reserved him for possible later use as a streamer, and I fabbed Adam Simber, still another Lima guy, still on my roster. But here's the thing. My Lima relievers have actually been worse than my starters. They've been inflating my decimals (which sounds like more fun than it really is) and they've been leaving me floundering in the lower reaches of the e r a and whip categories that they're supposed to be saving me in. Here are the numbers: All my starters, while they've been active, have combined for a 370 e r a and a 137 whip. It's not great, but both Barrios and Caprelian have been brutalized by their bullpens letting their runners score. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. My active relievers this year, meanwhile, have allowed a combined 3.96 ERA and 140 whip. They're worse than the starters. But I'm not giving up on Lima. I'm chalking this up to bad luck. I still believe in the basic idea of Lima that pitchers with good skills are worth rostering. And that short run aberrations, like Aaron Loop sporting a sub 1 whip but a 4 plus ERA, or like Jimmy Garcia having a 114 whip and a 4 plus ERA, that shouldn't distract us from the basic truth that Lima works. So I'm sticking with my guys, and I'm always on the watch for others. It's not as easy as it might seem. I just checked, and of all 130 relievers who have 10-plus innings this season, only 21 meet all the Lima criteria. Most of them are taken in my league, but some are still on our free agent list, including Brian Abreu of Houston, Eniel de los Santos in Cleveland, Joe Jimenez in Detroit, remember him? Alex Lang, also in Detroit, always makes me think of a game show host. Sam Mall in Oakland, Eli Morgan in Cleveland, and Penn Murphy in Seattle. If your league is a bit shallower, you might also find these guys available. Christian Javier in Houston, John Schreiber in Boston, Sam Hentges in Cleveland, Jason Adam in Tampa, J.P. Fireisen also in Tampa, Jeffrey Springs also in Tampa. You sensing a theme here? Brock Burke in Texas, Raphael Montero in Houston, Josh Stalmont in Kansas City, Michael King in New York, Will Vest in Detroit, and Jalen Beeks, also in Tampa. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick David of BaseballHQ.com. I have my extra innings commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 27th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 20 of the 2022 fantasy baseball season. I also want to thank our guest expert for this Friday full edition, Gene McCaffrey, the wise guy of fantasy baseball from The Athletic, Gene is one of my favorite guests. It's always interesting and informative to talk with Gene and always a barrel of fun. Great stories. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your extra innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, take a second to go to Apple Pods, Pocket Cast, Google Pods, wherever you catch your podcasts, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and new listeners help us keep the podcast going. If your pod getter of choice doesn't find Baseball HQ Radio, let us know about that or anything else on your mind by emailing bhqradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another Friday Full Edition featuring an expert interview and all the usual great stuff, our National League and American League news analysis and our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's next Friday on another Friday Full Edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk with you again next Friday and for now, so long.